Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. What's happening, weirdos? Uh, I am recording this <laughs> in New York City. We just uh, we've been doing press, and we just did the Gotham uh, live show, the live crashing show, which was so awesome. Thank you to any weirdos that came out. It really meant a lot that we filled the place up. Um, if you were at the show, you know I I think I got food poisoning or something. This is really a first. And now that I think about it, maybe it'll be something we do on crashing at one point because I've never been sick. While I'm doing stand-up <laughs> We did Val's here We did press all day uh, And none of this is to be like, oh, poor me It's just interesting And then we got to the show and I was like, uh, oh, oh, no <laughs> Yeah <laughs> so I just threw up So you know that weird, we were talking about like How miraculous your body is Is that you yak And you hate it while you're yakking But as you get older, there's also a voice in there That's like, you're gonna feel better It's like inner dad <laughs> yeah, so we're like trying to get it in on the window where you feel better straight after a puke. Exactly. Growing up like ten minutes. Like I not know, not not, not to gross you out. <laughs> and we we got a, an Uber from the club, and the guy uh, we were making a lot of small talk, and the whole time I was like, "This man doesn't know." To quote Brian Regan, "I'm imploding." <laughs> and to quote Dane Cook, we were laughing. Dane has this really funny bit about how when you're throwing up. It's also part of you is like, this sucks. And part of you is like, this is awesome. Because it is impressive. Yeah. We don't need to talk about this too much. But he has a line where he goes, I'm a puke breathing dragon right now. Which I actually thought of while I was vomiting and laughed. (laughs) And that's saying something. And the show was so good. Greer, especially the last, at, at the end was so funny. I was like fighting back nausea. And was laughing, and Jamie, and everybody. It was uh, Rachel Feinstein, yeah. Dan Natterman. It was a wonderful show. Am I forgetting anybody? No. I don't think so. It was a wonderful show, and uh, th- the main thing I should be saying is please watch Crashing this Sunday. This is Penn Jillette. Um, the reason we're doing Penn Jillette is because Penn Jillette is on the first episode of season two. And we're going to do something that we've never done before, which is I'm going to play... The extended audio. This is like DVD extras before the fact. So the show's out Sunday, <clears throat> but we're going to include the long version of the Penn Jillette scene. Um, we discuss in this episode that it was difficult to cut it down for, for time only. So I'm, But the conversation was so great um, that I'm going to play the audio r- right here before the episode. So I hope you enjoy that. I did. Penn is amazing. Uh, check him out, check out his podcast We've been meaning to uh, sit down together um, And I'm so glad we did It's just two and a half hours Of warmth and compassion Like, if anybody's thinking Like, oh, uh, Penn is gonna school Pete on atheism Or Pete's gonna try to get Penn to admit some spirituality It's not even that It's just, I really feel like we had A beautiful, compassionate meeting which doesn't surprise me at all because Penn is is just that kind of person. So as I always say, let's get to it as quickly as possible. Um, we I do have some Largo dates coming up, but I am I'm too sick <laughs> to look them up. Just look them up. Just look them up. Go to largo la There's one each month. They're on Wednesdays or Thursdays, usually towards the end of the month. 
I hope you can be there. Um, also, we have the Pete's Picks. There's no, there's no like official sponsor for this ad, but especially now that we've been doing press, I've been swearing by my Pete's Picks. These are products that I personally take every day, especially we're going from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you specifically, I take Alpha Brain so I can think. Alpha Brain is a nootropic. It's like fish food for your ideas. It's like a vitamin for your brain. It's earth-grown ingredients. It's not a stimulant. It's not like caffeine. It just gives your brain nutrients that it needs to think. And I swear by it, especially when I have to go from thing to thing to thing, as I already said. How many interviews do you think you did today? Oh, man. It was all day. It was all day. Which, what a privilege, but it is tiring. It had to have been like 12 to 15. Yeah, it was like 12 to 15 that's Alpha 10-15 Yeah, that, that's a good ad for Alpha Brain. <laughs> I take two in the morning and then I take two in the afternoon, uh, and it carries me through. Anything I do that involves my brain, podcasts, writing a script, uh, doing stand-up. And honestly, Val, sometimes I take it like before a date or something. I'm just like, because remember be sharp to date me, baby. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Emily and Kumail have that thing on their episode. Emily was like when we go on dates, we go, if this was a first date, would I want to go out again? So sometimes just before dinner with you or dinner with friends, take some Alpha Brain because it, it just helps. It helps me uh, remember stories and facts so you're not the guy at the party that's like, and uh, I, I, had a, I had a watch. No, he had a watch. <laughs> <laughs> so Alpha Brain, I want you to try it. I reached out to them. I was like, if weirdos want to try it, can we get them a discount? They said yes. Go to onit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird and you'll get 10% off whatever you purchase, that or the MCT oil, any of the other products that you see on that page. And then there's Charlotte's Web, and Charlotte's Web is hemp oil. It's CBD, not THC. It's made from the hemp plant, but they take the psychoactive part out almost entirely. It's legal in all 50 states. It doesn't get you stoned or high. The reason I like taking it while I'm doing press, and I would never um, smoke weed or have alcohol during press, um, but I do take this. It's not an intoxicant in that way. It helps me relax. And the way I always explain it briefly to people is it just makes me smile a little bit quicker. I'm a little bit sillier, a little bit looser. Helps with aches, pains, and anxiety. And, boy, I, I, I love it. I tell everybody about it. <laughs> and I always have a little bit on me. Uh, and I want you guys to try it. Go to CW, like Charlotte's Web, cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY and you'll get 10% off uh, any of your purchases there. They have balms and stuff if you have aches and pains in your joints. And they have the uh, liquid kind, the oil, which is what I get, mint chocolate. I like the Everyday Advance because you can literally just take a few drops and, uh, and you'll feel some of those wonderful, glowy, happy benefits while still being able to read a book or focus or concentrate. It's, 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 not, it's wonderful. It's nice. Uh, that's it. Okay, so um, we are going to roll in now to the exclusive Pendulette audio. And uh, let's do that first, and then and then and then we'll say get into it. So here is the extended clip of Penn and I in crashing. What happened is is Pete is sitting at a club. He's left alone for a moment. He's kind of you know feeling off as he ov- obviously always is in the show, pretty much. And Penn Gillette comes in. They meet, and then they have this conversation. Uh, let's have a listen. Is this uh, empty? Yeah, no. Please. There's people down by these, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you want some whiskey. No, no, I don't drink. Never have. I am not. You don't drink? 
No, not really. Teetotaler or just not, don't drink off? I, I, I was raised not to really partake too much. Me too. Really? Me too. My parents never did. Protestant? Yeah. I mean, when I was a child, yes. Yeah. What? Well, my name is Penn. Penn Gillette. I know you're you're a wonderful magician. Oh, thank you. I thank love you. magic. Oh, thanks. I really do. Well, and I was hoping you'd uh, say your name. Sorry, it's Pete. Pete. Hello, Pete. Peter. Nice to meet you. But you're a you're a big atheist now, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I have been for a long time. I, I guess my whole adult life. I stuck with it. I guess. Oh, did you? Jesus is still my co-pilot. <laughs> He's great. He doesn't drink either. Very, oh, really? Very smooth flight. I thought there was the wine thing, and then the wine. Ah, you know. It was one miracle. <laughs> the rest of the time, he was pretty dry. You really do believe? Yeah. Christian God? Christian, yeah, all three. So not the Bible word for word? No, that, I, was, I was raised in the inerrant word of God, yeah. Leviticus? And Deuteronomy. Okay. Now, I don't want to be dismissive, but you actually believe that there's a being that cares about, forgive me, but your masturbation? Cares about everything you do? Yeah, you, you know. And you, you may... don't have any gnawing doubts about that? You don't think that maybe you're... You're letting things slide by you that could be like more beautiful? Like life? Yeah, but I mean, what if you die and, and you go and, and there's God and, and you watch playback of your life and if you're good, you go this way and if you're bad, you go to hell. I, I, I think about hell, I think, more than maybe anything else. I'm, I'm so always... sorry. Well, what do you mean? That's, I, I, that's why I believe in God, so I can be... I'm good. Isn't that uh, disrespectful? To God and to Jesus to use them just as an afterlife insurance policy? That's what faith is. I mean, these spiritual teachers come and they, they kind of lay it out for us, right? I mean, and how do you get the credentials? How come the spiritual teachers don't agree? See, here's the thing you take mathematics or you take physics, there's not a branch of physics that, that is the Mediterranean and a branch of physics that's China. Uh, we always, when there's proof, we always agree. What science is, is the sharing of information. Like if I say, I believe this, I believe it in my heart and it's faith, all I've said to you is, fuck you. All I've said that what you feel doesn't matter. So you don't, you don't believe in something watching us, something keeping all of this going? I'm not sure there's no God, but I don't know. The most important revolution in human history, more important than agriculture, more important than writing, is the scientific revolution came down to three words. I don't know. And no institution, no church, no king, no power structure had ever said in history, I don't know. I just, what if you're wrong? I mean, I, I could never... What if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong? I, I, I mean... Either way, I'm good. You're right. No, no, that's not true. I mean, that's, that's the problem with Pascal's wagers. There's more than one choice. You could spend your whole life praying your ass off to Jesus and then find out that it's actually Zeus and he doesn't like you praying to Jesus. Well, I, 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 I'm enjoying the certainty I get from You don't have faith. certainty. I do. No, I, you don't. I do. You can't get certainty just by willpower. You can't force yourself to believe things you don't have evidence for. You just can't do it. You can't force certainty. Yeah, but this, this is all I have. Oh. I, I, I can't. This is how I was raised. I can't just put it aside because you make some sense. I mean, it's hard for me to admit that you're making some sense. Yeah, I, I dig that. It's hard to change. It's really hard. It's hard for someone my age to admit that the, the Beatles weren't that good. <laughs> okay, guys, that's it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's like, he's amazing. He's and that, so good. To, that scene, you know, 
we, I, I wrote it out, meaning I structured it based on things that he says. So that's all Penn. He's so, so amazing. I'm so happy that it's part of the show. Um, please watch Crashing this Sunday. It's the premiere at 10.30 on HBO after Divorce. And in the meantime, uh, please enjoy my lovely chat with the incredible Penn Gillette. Get into it. Get into it. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter. Oh, man, I feel so much better now that I yacked. Yay. Ooh, eight minutes. Not bad. <laughs> uh, tell, the, tell the people. First of all, so good to see you. Good to see you. Good Thanks to see for you. being here. And your new, uh, your, your big television program starts soon again, right? <laughs> Does it start up again? Yeah, I just like that you called it my big television show. Your uh, your big deal television show. Yeah. It's a big deal television show. You have your own television show. You're, no, you're I agree the star with you. of. I agree with you. I do. Isn't that a big deal? It is. I you know I try not to let it go by. Actually, yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. Yeah, everything's temporary. Because there may be a time you don't have a big TV uh, show. The very no, I'll guarantee. Uh, we can't guarantee. Either I die while I have one, and that's yeah. another way of not having one, or I live to not have one. Lucky me. Yeah. So you, there, you have already won. <laughs> and whatever the contest is, you've already won. Yeah, well, that's a big question. <laughs> what is the contest? But in the, if the contest is getting a TV show, which it certainly is one of the ones that I took on, yeah. I'm yeah. so happy to. Well, you know, it depends on how, how much we want to have you define your own goals for life. I would like to allow you to define your own goals for life. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean whether you are going to say if – if your goal was to get a TV show yes, and you got a TV show, I would like to consider that success. Isn't it? Some would say – that you don't have control of your own goals. The actual goal is to live in abstinence and, and stoic meditation yes. somewhere right. with a vow of poverty, in right. which case you failed. But if that was – yeah, that's not – that wasn't my but goal. By yeah. your goal. My goal. Good, success. My own understanding of success. Well, that is kind of what I was saying. Like there's more to life than the TV show. Boy, am I glad to having a TV Maybe. show. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. Maybe. We can't start with the deep stuff. No, why not? I mean, we can. <laughs> I just find it's such a good way to end the okay. podcast. Okay. Well, because we'll I do. Love to have you. I'll open with this: when you you are on season two of Crashing, episode one, season two of Crashing, and it was one of my favorite things that I ever ever did for the for the show. I'll tell you, it was really wonderful. You know, it's one thing you got applause. People applauded. That was a big deal. I mean, I know maybe you know, and I'm sorry that I interrupted, but it was with a compliment. <laughs> Is that you got always applause. okay? To- Every there's a certain quality to the air when people's lives are being made better when when fear and stress and isolation are being reduced and you and i might have different approaches to that but we're on the same team in that regard and i loved everything you said and we talked a lot yeah who was telling me one of the filmed it and they clapped one of your guys Uh, I don't talk to them, but was yeah. there mm. and uh, was a joke. and said that it ran. Uh, they, they kept it really long. We did keep it long. I don't know who told you that though, because it did get cut down. Yeah, oh, but, but that's said, that's not to say it's not long. <laughs> no, it's just it used to be because I loved it so much. I mean, I it's not that I go to bat against Judd in any way or HBO or anything, but at the end of the day, you have to go. I need an outside opinion. Mm-hmm. Is this scene too long? Yes. And when you're dealing with the types of things that we'll talk about towards the end that you say, I didn't want to lose any of them. But then you're like, is that 
You have to go. Is it important? Kill your darlings. Yeah, I know. We kill were, your darlings. But I was killing dar- pen, Gillette face <laughs> darlings, which are gigantic darlings in vests. And they have cards and rings. And I didn't know if I could kill them. Well, you did. I good. did. Good but it came you. out wonderful. Good. I'm Any so trim we did wasn't for time or any sort of corporate reason. We were I like, have discovered. We made you shine. I have discovered <clears throat> since doing your show that a lot of people like it. Is that right? Yeah. I, oh, say, I, I say to friends, you know, I'm, uh, I did this uh, Pete Holmes show. And they go, oh, I love that. Watch from the beginning. I loved it. Oh, that's great. But, well, it's going to be fun to see because season two is when a show really kind of burrows into an audience. You know what I mean? Season one, we're all a little nervous. Is this thing even coming back? It's like Band of Brothers when there's a new character. You're like, don't get, a, don't get attached to old Tex. He might get <laughs> shot in the head like in the next scene. Like you, you start distrustful. So now we're second season. People relax. The show relaxes. And the and the first episode is wonderful. And you were there was no other choice. I was like, I want someone to elegantly and beautifully describe not only atheism but like a whole different world of of this is enough. Now, uh, like a beautiful this is enough. You're all done with the season now, right? Yeah, we're done. You're all done. I just did the final mix this morning. That's why I'm usually better in the morning, like meaning hyper, more hyper. So you're going to get a nice, nice, relaxed, easy, good, easy I'm chat. Relaxed. <laughs> Also, this is early morning for me. Is it really? Yeah. You're so showbiz. Let's start real, with showbiz. I'm in showbiz. I know, motherfucker. See, you're what, real showbiz. Let's talk about me. it. Is Pete, Look what I wrote. Look what I wrote. Showbiz. Here's, here's, on the paper. Here's what happened. Yes, buddy. A bunch of guys in the garment industry <laughs> moved out to California, mm-hmm. and they um, created a new kind of show business, mm. but they brought with them their garmento sensibilities. Which is why people in L.A. get up at like 6 a.m. Now, of course, there's light involved. There is light. I'm saying there's light. Yes, I understand. We're acknowledging the presence of light. But, but we're not sewing buttons, and we're no, we don't have to be open 9 so to 5. So there's some things yeah. you don't have to be in the light for. Yes. Many, many, I don't know if you've noticed this, but many movies and television shows happen indoors. Yeah. Many of them. Right. So you could start at noon. Yes, you, you totally know. could. Now, when you live in Vegas, you're part of a longer tradition of show business. Right. And you don't consider like, you know, uh, troubadours and those kinds of people right. as guys getting up at 5 a.m. Right. And stopping and having a coffee and right. going to where they're going and right, right, saying right. hi, Bob. On a big cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't happen. You're a real showbiz. You're a show man. I'm a show. I like that I live when Ben Gillette is alive. I'm a show folk. I'm and a show folk. You're a show folk. You're a carny. Wouldn't you call it like almost? I uh, I probably, by carny. I thought you said that, and I now I it sounds probably, like an insult. You no, no. carny. <laughs> I I aspire to be carny trash. Mm. I distort my past somewhat mm. to appear to be. More carny and more trash. Like a Bob Dylan move. Well, Bob Dylan also. You love about you love Bobby D. Yeah, you see, and, and uh, I didn't find out until after I did a lot of the Bob Dylan stuff that Bob Dylan had made it up. All his all his past. I mean, he wrote about hitchhiking and hopping trains and yeah. living on the streets. Yeah, I did that. You and read way well. How do we know? You just said you 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 fabricate. I didn't say fabricate. Okay, I said I lean in, exaggerate a little bit. I don't you, really fabricate. You make it a better story. Sometimes while I'm telling a story, I go, I'm changing some details to make this a better story. I was just talking to a friend of mine, Mike Armstrong, uh-huh. and uh, I wrote about this in one of my books. But it was a, a horrendous thing. I was talking to a woman, telling her a story. I finished the story, which I told uh, uh, honestly and from the heart, mm-hmm. and then 
A half hour later in the dinner, I said, that story I told earlier was not my story. That happened to somebody else. And I just, he told it so vividly, and he told it about the place we're in right now. We're in an Indian restaurant on 6th Street in New York City. Uh And I just thought it happened to me. And she looked at me like I was psychotic. Really? And when I've told this story... But you came clean about it. When I told this story to other people, they... Many people have said to me, oh, that happened to me, but I wouldn't fess up afterwards. That's so interesting. I have gone and said... How old were you around that time? I, 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 was, I was... Not that long up. ago? You were grown up. Yeah. What I'm saying is... I, mean, as, I was 50, 45. What I'm saying... I'm 38, and I catch myself doing more stuff like that, and towards the end, I'm just kind of like, eh. Here's what it feels like to be 38. When I was 28, someone says something in a TV show, and I don't hear it. I'd say to Val, what did they say? And now I just go... <laughs> who, cares? Like, who cares meaning I might tell a story and in the middle realize this, this was this is my friend Lyle and then just kind of finish it and go like who, but I, who cares uh, I actually fessed up and I'll tell yeah, you no, that was noble if we're trying to create a society where people are uh, open about their honesty mm. she was not part of the solution I love she was that. part of the problem buddy I'm on a smaller level like if you're a general of this movement I'm a foot soldier <laughs> and all I'm doing is trying not to say uh, not trying to pretend that I recognize somebody it's, oh. not, it's not going great oh it's, it's really hard it's not going great well I have this people uh, get upset and I have to explain this because people think it's a different thing than it is there is a um, a dysfunction where uh, you cannot recognize faces at all I'm that guy okay but no, I, no. I know I know what you're talking about that's the a real, real thing. thing. What's it called? I don't know. Because it's come up on this podcast before because we've talked about it in this context before. I don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. But I have very bad visual record. When I was yeah. uh, homeless. When you produce a woman from one trunk into the other, for a second, you're not sure if it's her. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. would love your act because you're like, is that her? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, there was – I found this so incredibly sexy. You know, What's that? there's sometimes – you find something sexy and you just go, I, I wouldn't know I'd be into that. What was that? Uh, there was is that? a problem that people think that um, a person disappearing from one place and appearing in another yeah. could be twins. And they think that because it usually is twins. Right. Or people that look very much alike. Right. Um, so there was one act, and I, I think it was something in Ginger. But what they did, uh, and someone did this on Fool Us too, is – the woman came into the audience and handed a guy a Sharpie and said, sign. Sign me. Sign, yeah, sign wow. me. Wow. A living playing card. Signed right across the midriff in big, bold letters. Wow. And then she vanished and appeared somewhere else. And as I was watching that, I was going, well, this is a nice idea, and it's funny, and it's interesting, but motherfucker, it's really sexy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't know that that... I didn't know... That's interesting. That writing on people... Yes. Could be crazy sexy. Chris Gathered was on this show, and he, he got a colonic, which admittedly sounds a little bit more erotic because something's being put in your body. But he was like, I didn't know I wanted a colonic. Like, he found the whole thing kind of erotic. Yeah, there's no reason to do those for health. You should only do those for entertainment. Bullshit. I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I was... I was uh, uh, I, I did go uh, about a year... What was it about the With, writing, without, by the way? I don't know. Because the, there's something ASMR about it. It's no, 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 no. Like getting no, measured no, for a suit is no, kind of ironic to that. me. This had to do with um, some sort of weird uh, 
BD control thing. That she was being objectified. Yeah. In some sort of uh, – yeah. she was choosing to be objectified. Right, 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 right. It was the part that I found so sexy when she said – Use this pen and sign me. Totally. I'll join you because I was raised Christian, as, as were you. And I really bought in hard that, like, to all the purity, the ethics of sexuality. Mm-hmm. So to this day, uh, and I, I, I try actually not really for a spiritual reason necessarily to not look at pornography. I'm just not crazy about it. Mm-hmm. But if I do, and I do sometimes, uh, one of the things that gets me off is that they did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm like, the power of that. You, you made pornography. <laughs> like, well, I was you like, know, there are... you were away. It wasn't, it's not hidden camera. Like, you got your makeup done and you, like, let this. You wanted, I, part of me wants them to want to do it because that's sexy. That's you with the pen. It's all Right is. on me. And I go, oh, as opposed to the, the nun and the tied up coat, the high coat, and, like, you can't see this woman's like, yeah, let's fucking dance. When you look at the pornography, uh, from the turn of the last century. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a set of playing cards I have that are hardcore pornographic playing cards yeah. from like the 20s. Yeah. Talk about raising. And you just go, <laughs> you, you. Just say, uh, <laughs> you just say, uh, these people are were, were, yes, that too. <laughs> these people are uh, risking Yes. Going to prison for the rest of their lives. Yes. To have pictures taken of them sucking cock. I'm, God bless you. I'm also going to tell you, I don't think the pastor at my church growing up was fired for having an affair. And I was like, I don't, I've said this many times, so I'll keep it brief. I'm saying it to you. I don't think there's better sex than guilty Christian sex. Oh, I disagree completely. No, no, no. Hear me out. Because I bet you have a great, and I just want to let the point be wrong. Okay. What I'm saying is, you're saying these people are risking prison. To be mm-hmm. on a playing card. That's how much they oh, love bravery. eroticism. Bravery, this yeah. guy thinks he's going to hell, Penn. And he had to have it. Wow, yeah. And he's fucking and she's fucking and everyone thinks, fuck prison. Eternity. Right. This guy's in the business of telling people not to do it. And he and he she was a like he was a, not mentoring, but he was like her therapist, basically, like a counselor. And they fucked. Can you imagine? Well, you've just changed it. I said fucked it. like Mark Marin. Fucked. You've just changed it. Yeah, that's why I didn't think you were understanding because I was saying the same thing as you. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I like is the passion. Yes. What I don't like is the guilt. I'm with you. But passion and guilt, uh, you have a story that has both in them. Yes, that's and, what I'm saying. It's a strange cocktail. Oh, it's it's a strange cocktail of like, we shouldn't be doing this. My wife cheated on me. I've actually thought about how great it must have been. I know that's strange, but it's my own story, so I can tell it however I want. She, I was this dopey guy going around eating rice checks, uh-huh. like not trying anymore, farting. And she's out like having this lurid affair. There's part of me that's kind of like, ooh, why weren't, you, why weren't you joining in? With the affair? Yeah. I was far from that. I well, don't even know if I'm there now. You should have been there, you know. Joining in? With your iPhone. <laughs> Taking some video. A cuckold video? Well, no. You, you, Me cu- and the, cuckold mm-hmm. has the quality of you're a chump or a loser. Yeah. I think if, if you, once again, if you accepted it, it's not that she was signed against her will that I like. Yeah. It's that she said... You know, totally. sign me. So if yeah. you were there going, I'd like to watch this. No, I know. That's not cuckold. That, but that wasn't it. So I was a cuckold. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? Let's be clear. I want okay. to be very clear okay. about something. Good, good. I was a cuckold. <laughs> now, all, because of my resistance. All of this is going to go all together. It's going to tie all together. Hit it. Everything. Uh, so when I was hitchhiking around, and I actually hopped a train. I did hop a train. Once. I love you. Um, 
I see you throwing the bag first with your long legs. (laughs) (laughs) Running gazelle-like. First of all, I'll tell you, uh, really scary. Really? Crazy scary. Yeah, not cute. Nothing good about it. Yes. And then I also will give advice to young people out there thinking about hopping a train. Try to have some idea where the train is going. That's funny. I had no idea, and I had no idea where I ended up. This one's going in a loop-de-loop for four (laughs) hours. It's a waste of time. No, mine was going uh, directly from Montreal, as far as I could tell, due north for six hours without slowing down. Just into deep Canada? Yeah. Yikes. Which, you know, there's like dragons there. You know, (laughs) cold dragons. Cold. Very, very. Oh, they breathe kind of fire. And also, you realize at that point that I'm holding on to something. Yeah. And if I let go, I die. So you're on the outside of the train. You're not running alongside. I was for a long time. Really? There was an open box cover, the guy playing harmonica. Yeah, named Soup. No, (laughs) get in here, Pen. I have a story and a riddle. (laughs) And he and he taught you magic. This is good. Let's agree. We hate the. We, do, how do you feel about Patter? Because Derek Delgado, we were like, we don't like Patter. Do you? Uh, mm. What I'm saying is, this is a good story. I think all I do is Patter. <laughs> but but we don't have like separate magic Patter. What I'm saying is, great story. Oh, yeah. I would be interested if you were like one of the things I learned on a train is how to vanish completely. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> oh. I'd be like, oh, oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And now here's a hippity hop rabbits. How ready we are to believe. You know what I'm saying? How how badly we want you to be magic. I'm a magic fan. I think you know that. Uh, so I'm like, and I never was. Do it. I know. I I don't <laughs> understand why you got into magic because you're charismatic. You're tall. You're good looking. What happened? What's going on? Not to say that people who do magic aren't those things, but like. A lot. I, I know a lot of magicians. I love magicians. I see a lot of stilted guys, a lot of awkward guys, just like comedians that like did it to like overcompensate for their lack of social finesse. You seem like a guy who should be like showing me how to make a new cocktail. There's a one word answer. Hit it. Teller. Teller. That's yeah. the, that's what I've heard. I wanted to work with Teller. Why? Because Teller it was. I love Teller. But was I mean, the most uh, was the most talented, interesting person I'd ever met. And how did you meet uh, Todd Berry of the Magic World? Not, 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 <laughs> not, not in any interesting way. Uh, there was a there was a guy at Amherst College who did very strange uh, uh, classical music concerts called the Otmar Sheck Memorial Society for the Preservation of Unusual Disgusting Music. Kind of like a, <laughs> uh, uh, a more... Uh, unusual or disgusting music? It was a, uh, do, you know, do you know how dull most people are? You're like, it's not a good story. He was in the Association for the Preservation <laughs> of Unusual or Ugly Music. I'm like, most people are like, I went to a Quiznos. Well, you know who, do you know who, uh, do you know who Otmar Sheck is? No. Omar Sheck was a Swiss composer in the earliest part of the 20th century that did a uh, a tone poem, a semi-operetta, uh, uh, about being buried alive. Okay. And uh, uh, this person who was to be my friend, who was a DJ on the classical station in uh, Amherst, uh, had played Otmar Sheck and thought it was the most uh, turgid, unpleasant music he ever heard and decided to start a society in his no. name. No. But I bought a stereo from this guy. It's like the ultimate heckle. It's like, I hate <laughs> this so much, I'm actually going to preserve it. Forever. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was uh, uh, a child. I was uh, 16, 17. And I went and saved up my money and I wanted to buy a nice stereo. So he was working at a stereo store, and I went in to buy the stereo and mentioned that I was a juggler. Mm. And he said to me, do you think you could um, juggle me while playing the <laughs> drums 
uh, for Beethoven's uh, ninth. I said, I think so. Wait, what do you mean? Like foot drums? Could I could I could I bounce balls off? Oh. I said, I think I could do that. And he said, Could you uh, could you um, throw plungers, you know, bathroom plungers around me at a board and get them to stick? And I said, I am really good at practicing. If you need someone to learn something, I can learn it. Yeah. So I said, I'll learn that. And I said, no one else that you'll meet. So an opportunity met Pendulette. We'll actually do four hours a day. <laughs> yes, on yes. This. And I worked on it forever. And In your learned, backyard, licking plungers. Yes, licking plungers. <laughs> then I actually ended up using chapstick. and I, There was a lot Get of technology out. involved. Fun. I learned to do it. Life can be fun. And you then, can either be a normal guy or you can be in your backyard with chapstick and plungers. And then I showed up. And did the show, and there was a uh, uh, a Latin teacher from New Jersey uh, who was uh, pretending to be blind and reciting uh, poetry and selling pencils mm. outside the show. Mm. And that man was Teller. <laughs> and uh, so there's seven years age difference to us. So I, seventeen or eighteen, he's twenty five, which is a huge age difference at that age. Yeah, sure. Uh, he can rent a car, and we start. You know, we started talking about uh, art, you know. In my high school, uh, no one did that. Mm. No one. Which high school is this? Uh, Greenfield Public High School in Western Famously, Massachusetts. They don't talk about art there. Well, you know, Western it, Mass. It's just a you know dead factory town. I'm just kidding. You know, but yeah, and, not not a lot of that. And you know, you you'd laugh at things, but you wouldn't say, "How's that joke put together?" Interesting. You know, and still uh, a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing you know? wrong with that, yeah. 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 But it's nice to meet the others. And I had never had, uh, you know, I hadn't seen a play. I, you know, the first person I met in show business was me. So um, fun. So uh, <laughs> I started talking to Teller, and also he, 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 like, you know, had a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what was his job? He was a Latin teacher. I, oh, I, I'm I, sorry. High school, Excuse me. Yep, high school Latin teacher. That, yeah. So he was teaching high school the whole time I was in it. Hmm. Different schools. And we started talking. And uh, then um, I, he was interested in magic. He I, wasn't yet doing he it. Was, he was 25. He was, he was 25. He was interested in magic. He had been since he was five years old. Oh. And he was the guy who did, was a teacher, Mr. Teller. And yeah. then Mr. Teller, every talent show would do his magic act. Huh. And Mr. Teller would work at the library. There he and is. And Mr. Teller always talked about magic, right? He'd make your late fee disappear. And I said to him, you know, uh, I... Uh, I don't like magic at all because I think that the most important thing you can look for in, in life is truth. And magicians are just uh, sloppifying that. This is how a lot of people feel. Yeah. Like people in the audience. They're like, it's, it's uninteresting. It's the Seinfeld bit. It's like, yeah, yeah. and uh, is this your card? You're an asshole. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've seen my bit. My bit is the opposite, which is we know it's fake. Fucking live. Like oh. enjoy. But well, I, I tell had, me what you got there. How I had, there? had that explained to me. <laughs> uh, did he? Yes. He Tell, did. Teller said to me that there was a way to do magic that didn't insult the audience mm. and was honest. How did he know that? This uh, seems pretty advanced even for now. Uh, well, he we, we were both uh, um, fans of Amazing Randy. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten there uh, with hate, and uh, he'd gotten there through magic. You mean you got to Randy through hate? Yeah. Because Randy seems right up your alley. Yeah, Randy was everything to me. Amazing documentary for those not knowing who Amazing Randy is called uh, An Honest Liar. Yeah. It seems like a movie the that whole, you would have made. Title, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the uh, perfect. And it's indeed a movie I'm in. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Ooh, we should talk about uh, what is Tim's Vermeer? Tim's Vermeer. Another great movie. You're well, in a lot of great you. movies. Well, thank you. Those are two of my favorite uh, docs. Put the Aristocrats down. That's like, another good I don't, I don't good. like that one. You don't like the Aristocrats? I don't care for it. I'm just kidding. I'm totally, I'm totally joking. That would be great. <laughs> no matter what you said, the third one, I would have broke the form and said I don't care for it. <laughs> but uh, so um, I don't know which of these stories to finish. <laughs> that should be the name of this podcast. <laughs> I've never had a guest just so honestly call it out. Pete, I don't know which of these stories to finish because we're going all over and I love it. But I was in Chicago. Yes. And I've been hitchhiking. And uh, I was the age of a college student, although I had no higher education. And the University of Chicago does a lot of testing. And they had a little sign up that said, um, you know, $5 an hour for psychological testing. So I, that was, you know, that was it. Three, three hours of work would get me through the next two weeks. You wow. know, I, I wasn't eating much and I wasn't living anywhere. Wow. So I went in for it. And it ended up they were running just simply um, uh, memory tests. <laughs> and something really nutty happened, which was uh, on visual memory, I scored low enough that I would be um, – I would, you know, I I, I would need a uh, halfway house. Almost you know. like special needs. I would be special needs. Yeah. Visually. Memory. Right, right, right. right. And uh, my conceptual memory was rather high. Uh-huh. And to the point they thought that something was wrong with their testing. They'd never seen that disparity. Yeah. And so I found out a lot about myself. I mean, they could hold up. They gave you the results. That's kind of nice of them. Well, no, they they didn't. Uh-huh. They said to me, would you come in and do more testing? Ah. Would you come in and do more testing? And, and then, then you were said, like, hey. <laughs> then they said, because we think you're lying. We want to know how you're cheating us. Because they would hold up like like a picture of uh, of a guy, like an 8 by 10 Then they would put it down. They would hold up three more pictures. And one of them was the person From I'd seen before yeah. in a different pose. Similar looking guy. Oh, different pose. In different pose. I think I might do poorly at this And test. I would go, I, I have no idea. I only see haircuts. Then they would show, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I see haircuts. And shirts. Haircuts and shirts. If you change your shirt in the middle of the day, I don't know who you are. Especially women, and I, I, I don't like this about myself, but when Val and I watch TV, I go, who, what? Who is that? First of all, yeah. first of all, they need to have in every single show, everyone needs a different hair color. Yeah. A different, if you put two <laughs> blonde women in a movie, yeah, I'm gone. the same person. I'm gone. Yeah. You and I are what's skewing movies. And they would give me a, uh, a grid with a pattern on it, and I could reproduce that completely <laughs> as long as I could describe it. So they found out that I was doing these cheats that I didn't know I was doing because I thought everybody did them. And that is I describe, I mean, when I'm coming in to meet you, I run a description. What do you mean? Uh, I say, uh, oh, I'm going to see Pete, uh, tall, uh, light. It's the exact description I gave of you when I first met you. That's funny. But it's verbally I'm doing it. Right. So I'm looking as though I'm looking from notes. So this is bad because when, when, uh, like, I would have, I'd be on the road. And back in the days before 9-11, when you could actually go and meet someone at the airport, mm-hmm. I would have you know met a woman and had a nice time with her and mm-hmm. said, why don't you fly to the next city and see me there? Mm-hmm. And I'd go and meet the airplane and have no idea who I was looking for. Yeah. No idea. So your example is great because it's somebody that's important to you. Yeah. This is, like you care about this. I once talked to the head of TBS 
when I, I had a talk show on TBS, I talked to the head of TBS for 20 minutes. No idea who the fuck they were. Oh, that happened to me all the And time. I had had – they were at the pitch meeting. They were at the no, – like out of context, no fucking idea. And I'm standing there just going like I'm pretty sure this person's important based on their suit. Glenn Ally sitting over His here. manager. He's been working with me for 23 years. Great magic manager. Fabulous. You walk around everywhere I go and says to me uh, – that, that's Pete Holmes. You worked with him. That's what I need. Always telling me. And who is it that talks about your tap? There's one of our friends who says he has a very specific double tap. A double tap on, on the shoulder. On the shoulder. To wrap things up. This is someone you know really well. Ah. Uh, <laughs> see, you, these are the things I want about the president. The president has someone that whispers who they are, and the president gets regular haircuts. That's all I ever want. If, if the president is smart enough to know that those are good things. That's right. <laughs> we always thought that would be everybody. Turns <laughs> out it isn't. So um, I once – did a show, and I did not know that my mom was coming to the show. Now, I, I think we've talked about this. I'm a mama's boy. Yeah, you love your mom. Very close to my mom. we got to talk about your mom. And my, and my dad. I mean, both of them, but I was, I was the same person as my mom. Mm. And uh, a woman came up. You know, this is in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, the fog of war mm-hmm. after I've done the show and I'm taking pictures with people and signing autographs. Mm-hmm. And a woman elderly woman came up and put her program in my hand and asked me to sign it. I looked her directly in the eye and signed it, handed it to her, and she said, I'm your mother. Wow. (laughs) Proof. That's proof. Proof positive that you have this thing. But I would have have had no trouble if I knew I was going to see her. I just love the discussion of different types of intelligence because I can't stress this enough. My whole life, through high school, through college even, I thought I was... Not as smart as everyone else. And that, and that was actually evident in my grades in high school at least. I started to turn around in college a little bit. But then like you do notice other uh, – Val and I have been watching less TV, so we're playing more card games and stuff. So we're playing this, this game uh, called Roman Rat Screw. Have you ever heard it? No. It's also called Egyptian Rat Fuck. It doesn't matter. Anyway, it's a, it's a two-player game where you each get half the deck and you flip over cards. And different cards mean different things. It's very brainless. But it's, it's beneficial if you remember the order of the cards. Oh. And I've noticed, without any effort, I'm very good at knowing where she is in her deck. There's a jack coming up. You know what I'm saying? This is not to say I'm a genius. Nobody gives a fuck about that type of talent, that type of thing, because it's not very useful. Well, that's pattern recognition. That's you going, I can draw this thing again. I never knew that about myself. I thought because that's a way of being good with numbers. That's a way of being good with patterns. But I was always like, I'm just bad at that stuff because your quadratic formula doesn't doesn't move me. Why Mm. can't I point the finger at it and say... Boring to me, but but it to, says stupid to you. You want to say you don't want to fall into that trap. I don't want to say boring. I understand. No, because uh, I was. Uh, you have to be careful to because some of it is intelligence. I mean, some of it really is. I mean, I have uh, friends who are very, very, very smart, and Tim, uh, uh, Tim is one, and uh, Rob Pike, and a bunch of people, and you don't want to fall into the mistake of what I desperately want to believe but simply isn't true if i were as interested as they are in those subjects i could do that mm-hmm. simply not true mm-hmm. i mean these are people that can manipulate three-digit multiplication in their head right right now there's also the interest and everything else but the one of the reasons some things are boring to me is i simply don't, don't understand the raw, the raw brain power the talent yeah 
Absolutely. I think that's wonderful. Maybe talk a little bit about that. It's like there's some things that if we try really hard, plungers, chapstick, we mm-hmm. can learn them. And well, one of the things I like about you is that you are a, I hate the term, but a lifelong learner. You're learning. I do try. We're I do either try. growing or we're decaying and you are growing. You but are, also we're, we're both tall. Yes. And tall, <laughs> tall teaches you something. Tall teaches. This is fun. Tall teaches you something because uh, tall teaches you uh, not to buy into completely the you can do anything you set your mind to. Mm, tell me Because why. we know we're not going to be jockeys. Yeah. You know, and we know oh, that people right. that, we've, that we've met would, you and I, if we put everything into it, mm. there's a chance that you and I could be the bottom level of basketball. Right. There's a chance. Yeah. But there are people who are 5'5 five, five that that's not true for. Right. And we have to remember that that also is true on things that are not as easily uh, mm-hmm. Quantifiable. Well, that's that's what I say on the show, and I, I can't do certain kinds of math. Right, I'm not going to be able to. But what you can do, you're into. You yeah. love playing around, and I do read a lot of math, and I study a lot of math. But yeah. I understand yeah. that I am uh, I am playing above my weight class, which is great, though. One of the things I hate, and I mean I'm passionate against, is when people just resign. I can't say this enough on this podcast. I just go, is- I'm bad at. I'm this, sorry, I'm bad at talking or whatever it is. This like, is work on it. what I believe yeah. the word genius is created mm. to justify laziness. That's interesting. No other reason for That's that. That's like, word. did you hear on NPR where they talked about there was the blind guy who never went to blind school and he's going around, he's riding a bike. He's like, he's very, very, very high level because he never was taught that he's blind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is that kind of what you mean? Kind of, but I also It's in the ballpark mean, of what we're talking about. Yeah, but what, what, what I kind of mean is um, Bob Dylan. Who Bobby is, D. Uh, you know, the, 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 the artist I like the most. <laughs> um, it's so tempting to say uh, Bob Dylan's a genius. I will, uh, we'll never be able to do as, as good as Bob does. And we have this sense, at least I did, especially when I was younger, that Bob just kind of walks in the studio and full-blown genius right. comes out. I got something about a stone. <laughs> Hit it! Now, uh, <laughs> he doesn't even know. Blood of the Tracks. What? Just kidding. Blood of the Tracks. <laughs> Great album. Uh, amazing album. <laughs> and the myth about that album was that he was having trouble with his wife, Sarah. And he poured his heart out. Mm-hmm. And this is pure, raw, pouring his heart out. And then there were rumors about a notebook where he worked on Blood on the Tracks. Mm. And now, because in Oklahoma, he, all his all his work and notes are being uh, put together in a museum. Now. I, thought, I was so worried for a second you were about to be. There was a big fire and we have <laughs> none of it. Now you're telling me the good news. Uh, and a, uh, people have looked at this collection there's not one notebook. There's like three notebooks yeah, yeah. of small writing. Pages and pages and pages where he's writing stuff that's deceptively simple, like time is a jet plane. Mm. It moves too fast. Mm. You know, mm. that is not full-blown from the mind of Zeus. Yep. That is Now, there's a, certainly a huge amount of talent. Mm-hmm. Also... But can we just say, because Val, I'm kind of... Val is interested in the creative stuff, and now she's living with an artist person, me. And I'm like, Val, the difference between— I'm glad you told me that it was you. 
You well, now I'm into say, it. I film it with the iPhone. The <laughs> no, I go, Val, the diff- one of the big differences between me and a non-artist person is I write it down. That's it. Because she says genius shit all the fucking time. And I love her to death. And she's so funny. She's so smart. And she's so talented. I just go, write it down. Who cares what you're going to do with it? Just write that down. That was a great line. Uh, Right? I I write down everything. That's that's the fucking secret. Bob Dylan's guy. I'm not. You and I aren't shocked by that Bob Dylan story at all. No. But I love hearing it. And I love getting it out there. And, you know, Eminem, another great example. Writes down everything. Always has a notebook with it. Right, right, right. Always. Right, 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 right. And these are the guys come up from the streets. I'm dumb. Da, 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 right, da, right, da, right, da. right. They're nerds. All of them this is, have notebooks with them. Right. All of them have notebooks. I'm not even for Even if you weren't a magician, I would be saying it's like magic. To me, mag, one of the beautiful lessons of magic is what's done privately mm. can be spectacular public. Yeah. Meaning 12 hours of, uh, of, 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 of practicing. Did you watch um, Delt? About the great. Well, oh, I, I, I know Richard. Yeah, yeah. The, it's a great documentary about the. I love magic documentaries, but it's a great documentary about a real card mechanic named Richard. You wait till you see my new doc. Really? It's uh, it'll be on uh, Showtime in April, right? Uh, I don't, I don't think, I'm not. I'm not into it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, What's it called? It's called uh, Gambler's Ballad: The Legend of Johnny Thompson. Great. And it is uh, me learning a card trick to do with Johnny Thompson, who's, I believe, the greatest living magician. And Johnny Thompson is a different person. He's not He's Not, uh, not Richard. Richard. I'm forgetting. Not Richard Turner. Richard Turner. Uh, what, the reason is, is something, that, like even in my limited experience in magic, something that you do in your bedroom just alone, there's something meditative, beautiful, calming, lovely about some- that. Then you do it once for your friend, and if they don't know it's 12 hours of practice. Well, there's... There's also, they don't know it's three notebooks. They also don't think it's worth it. Who? The only secret there is of magic is that I think things are worth more than you do. There's no other difference. I, that's so, so similar to comedy. It's like your thought is worth more. That, write it down. But, but, but no, no, it's, it's different. Everything. See, Tell me what you mean. You're sitting, you're watching the magic act, and the guy does a four ace assembly. Mm-hmm. And the person in the audience, lay person, says, wow. That's a really, really good trick. If I wanted to do that trick, I'd be willing to put in 10 hours of practice. Mm-hmm. And in 10 hours of practice, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. That is a miracle. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you've left out is the guy doing it thought it was worth 500 hours of practice. <laughs> it is impossible in 10 hours. So all... The only secret to the Pet and Teller show right. is we think it's better than you do. That's right. That's why we are able to do this. Because you go, wow, the Pet and Teller show, I would work 40, 50 hours to make that happen. Right. And I couldn't do it in that. They're geniuses. And we go, well, no, 40 years. Three. <laughs> 40 years, three notebooks. That's the three notebook yeah. theory. Yeah. This is everything. This is the Beatles. Yeah. 10,000 hours in that club in Germany. They're just doing it more and more and more. But I can't, with love, break down our idols enough. Because I'm just like, like I love Greta Gerwig. Val and I, uh, she did Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Did I get her name right? Greta Gerwig? Yeah. Greta Gerwig. She did Lady Bird. I take Val to see Lady Bird. And she's just like, I can't. I can't. And I went on this rant. And I love Greta Gerwig. And I, and I would do it if Greta Gerwig were sitting next to me. I was just like, oh, please. And I love Lady Bird. I think it's a 10 out of a 10. I was like, that's years. 
It's years of cooking an idea, jotting down a thought about your mother, dreaming about it, remembering, exploring. It, it only appears to be genius. This goes back to your point. Yeah. Genius is just another wall between you and it. Yeah. You go, I'm not a genius. Yeah. Motherfucker, don't give up. Well, that's the other thing. Just that- get in your bedroom and start practicing cards. <laughs> someone, <laughs> someone, whatever your cards are. Someone pointed this out to me, and it was so profound. Um, Dylan, Dylan's first four albums, uh, New York Times, everybody goes crazy. Mm. This is so literate. Mentions of Shakespeare. Blah, 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 blah. Someone point out to me that every single reference in the first X, I don't know, five, six Dylan albums, every single one, every literary reference is Minnesota public education honors English program. That's, I love this. Nothing else. Dylan was that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Shakespeare, he's in the alley with his pointed shoes and his bells. Yeah. All he did was pay attention, was pay attention in high because school English class. he knew it was worth more than we thought it was yeah. worth. What I wish, I've said this a million times. I wish someone had explained to me that learning is shoplifting. It's, <laughs> it's sexy. It's exciting. Steal it. Someone, not literally, went into a cave and worked for a very long time on something. Steal it. It will get you laid. It will get you paid. It will, <laughs> it will make you feel good about yourself. Do you have a third like, word that rhymes? Uh, it'll get you in the shade. <laughs> Take that, Marshall. It, it'll, get you, it'll get you laid. It'll get you paid. And you'll have it made in the shade. Made in the shade, drinking <laughs> lemonade. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like somebody told me, do this. <laughs> Have some toppinate. That's good. It's a little bit too salty for you. That's what the lemonade's for. <laughs> Wash down the toppinate. It's like if some, somebody told me, learn to avoid failure. And it'll give you AIDS. Ooh, the good, we had a shirt idea. Lemonade, the good kind of AIDS. It never worked. <laughs> it never worked. We pitched it at college. You were like, it's, it's very dark. Um, you know what I'm saying? It, it was the shift from doing something to gain something as opposed to learning to avoid Punishment, ridicule, failure. That was all of my schooling was just like, I don't want to fail. Not, I'll learn this and when I'm a folk musician or I'm a magician or I'm a comedian or I'm an architect or I'm a chef or I'm a homemaker, I will have this stuff to tantalize and delight just, all just those learn, around me. Just learn a few more ways to do it wrong. What do you mean? That's, uh, was it, um, <laughs> I think it's Niels Bohr. Mm. Uh, Niels Bohr said... Uh, uh, or I, I'm not sure what it was, said, um, no, 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 we haven't got any failed experiments. We've discovered this many more ways to do it wrong. I love that. <laughs> That's like in uh, Awakenings, Robin Williams is like, we tried to extract 300 yards of silk from silkworms. And they're like, you can't do that. And he's like, yes, and we proved it. <laughs> <laughs> we proved you can't do it. <laughs> it's beautiful. What, what I don't understand, you're talking a little bit about your mother, and now we're jumping on trains, and mm-hmm. you're meeting Teller, mm-hmm. and all these wonderful things. Uh, your son, I hope, thinks you're as tall as a tree. You almost are. Uh, but let's back up a little bit. What called you? What was, the, what was the call to action that you were in? You're growing up where? Greenfield, Massachusetts. I'm sorry. You said Western Mass with your mother and father and wonderful parents. We talked. And old old parents. Older. My my mom was 45 when I was born. I think that's important. That is important. All their problems are over. When they had you. What do you mean by that? 
They never raised their voice. They never fought. And they had. They were self-realized a little bit. Uh, they were done. They were done. They're over. They were not freaking out at anything that went on. Beautiful. And uh, it's uh, you know, and that's what gave me. You know, uh, I'm a very old dad. My uh, my daughter was born when I was fifty, so oh, I was wow. five years older than my mom. <laughs> and um, uh, I think it's important. But I, what called you? What was on the wind that you were like? Because it wasn't. Torment. You weren't trying to get away. I was not tormented. Um, I was a, and still am. Uh, people make fun of me. I still write fan letters. What do you, you mean? Know? You write back to fan letters? Oh no, you mean you write fan letters? I read a great book and I go on the web. And that's I what find, this podcast is. I find, that's what I'm doing. I find the address. But you go, write letters. Yeah. You know, you're fun, dear Doctor Kahneman. I read your book, Thinking Fast and Slow. I loved it. It was inspiring. I think perhaps the best magic book ever written. Sincerely, Pendulet. Get out. I just, and you sign it in pen. No, I just email. You know, oh, like, it's an email. Like you're supposed to. Okay. But I, I write. And I've always done that, you know. Wow. Um, you know, dear Mr. Dillon, your new album is good. Yeah. Um, but uh, I told you, stop emailing me. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get this email? Uh, it's bob at dillon.com. <laughs> we Hide it fast better. Uh, and... I thought, really believed, we're, you know, we're telling the, saying the same thing exactly again. I really believed that the Beatles walked in with Sgt. Pepper's in their mind. Then they said, here's how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. This is how it's going to sound. We're going to do this this way. You still believe this? I believe that. Mm-hmm. I believed that. And then um, in 1971, mm. 69, 70, uh, when I was, you know, high school, uh, bootlegs hit, and uh, fun, great white wonder, the Bob Dylan bootleg hit, a, a bootleg that was regional. They're all regional in some way, called Stealing, with Bob Dylan, and then a album hit called Comeback, K U M B A C K, white record, just on, just written. It sold illegally at our local. It was the Beatles. Yeah, the Beatles. And there, it was uh, stolen tapes from uh, from uh, Let It Be, and there was Paul McCartney singing out of tune. Love it. There was John Lennon singing stupid lyrics. There was <laughs> a very, very, very badly conceived guitar solo. And I went, wait a minute, they get to do it more than once? Yes. I can do that. Yes. I can go in and work on it. I didn't know you could work on it. Yeah. And it was this real revelation to me that everyone was like, going, why? why? And, you uh, get so long to pull the string back on the bow before yeah, you let go yeah. of the arrow. These guys are pulling it back for 10 years before yeah. you heard that. And I went, well, wow. And so uh, I wanted to be in show business. And I thought, well, you know, I could learn to juggle. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm not musically talented, particularly. Did you see someone juggling that was awesome? Nope. nope. You just I went just, juggling. Yeah, that's something I could do. <laughs> I like jugs, and I and I believed, <laughs> I believed that um, I would just get good enough, and they would just say, "You're a good juggler. You're in show business now." Wow. So I started juggling when I was like twelve or thirteen, and uh, then you the, must be very good at it still, because I mean that's the age. Yeah, that's well, when you want to put the thing in. I was wicked good. Yeah. Your son is 11. Do you ever get excited that he has more brain cells now than he'll ever have again? Oh, it's great. It's great. My, what he learns now. But, you know, we, uh, this is uh, 
It's amazing to me. I, I get asked, uh, people say, you know, you, you have a daughter and you have a son. And people ask all the time, is your son in the magic? And I'll say, no, not at all. But my daughter is. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's a shift happening there. Is there really more women getting into magic? It's, it's crazy. We haven't had a, a, a female magic but superstar. But boy, are we going to. You think so? Oh, yeah. We are going to because on Fool Us, uh, this is a huge change. This is a huge shift. Um, four years ago, five years ago, in a two-year period, uh, not one, not one girl came up after our show and said, let me show you a card trick. I do magic. Mm. Now, boys, not that often because it takes a lot of guts to go up to somebody. But I would say once a week. Which, Still. No, no. This is these yeah, yeah. four back years then. ago. Yeah, 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 back then. Once a week, a boy would come up, say, mm-hmm. do a card trick. Now, it's probably two girls a week, one boy a week. Really? Saying, can I show you a card trick? Or I'm into magic. There's a couple things, you know, going through my mind. That happened in comedy. You know, that happened in comedy. It certainly did happen. For a while, there was just Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers. I know. The idea of a roast with one woman on it is is kind of absurd. It is absurd now. I wonder what it was. There is something. It's all because of our show, Fool Us, pushing for the Uh, little girls. Well, it's similar to comedy. There's something uh, masculine, and I don't mean male. I just mean there's a masculinity to I'm going to trick you. I'm going to manipulate you. Christopher Hitchens. Not not to say men are tricking people. There's something imposing about it. Christopher Hitchens wrote uh, uh, an essay. Uh, called Women Aren't Funny or Women Just Aren't Funny Mm. that he wrote at the uh, right about the turn of the century. And he got ripped apart completely for it, destroyed for it. Every every woman comic and writer that I know hated Hitchens for that. Mm -hmm. I think maybe because they didn't read the article. Mm. But the article is about how uh, our society puts us in roles where it's not as comfortable for women to be funny. Yes. And it wasn't at all about, there was nothing sexist about it. Right. It was, if anything, from the other side. It was just uh, with a provocative title and with a, with a great deal of wit and intelligence. Right. And there is something. Um, about the permission we give women to be powerful. Yeah. Yes. But there's also something about. Uh, you don't have too many male assistants getting written on right. with a marker. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And um, women because our society is changing the idea of a woman having the kind of authority necessary mm-hmm. and being able to shake off um, a lot of stereotypes it's why women got funny all of a sudden mm-hmm. it wasn't that women got funny all of a sudden they always were mm-hmm. you know hitchens point would have been if i may speak for him but he's dead so i'm safe um <laughs> uh, i think hitchens point would have been as soon as society lets them you'll have the greatest comedians be female Mm. You know, and as soon as society lets them, you'll have the greatest magicians be. And I hope we're seeing that. Yeah, we are. That's kind of what we're seeing. We're seeing. I mean, everybody would say Maria Bamford is one of their Mm -hmm. favorite comedians, if not one of the best comedian. And Sarah Silverman and Tig. It's a wonderful time for these things, and I'm happy to see that that's happening in magic. Yeah, but it's it's about like because magic is a remedial art form. It's about eight years behind. 
<laughs> it's like country music is yeah. catching up. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it yeah. seemed like a joke. But country music we discovered the sixth. <laughs> it was a long time after jazz. <laughs> Wait a minute, that interval sounds good too. God damn. Well, Miles was playing in '56. We don't right, know nothing right, about right. Well, that. Well, jazz one. is ahead of all of us. Jazz <laughs> is lapping us all. So you felt the call on the breeze to get into show business because it seemed like fun. Because you realized because of the comeback record that you too could be in show business. What I wanted to because you learned the three notebook I, secret. What I wanted to be was a uh, what I wanted to be was a writer I had no interest in comedy no interest in uh, in that kind of show I wanted to be a writer and then uh, but I was juggling and I was actually you know uh, making all my pocket money in high school doing uh, talent shows and stuff like that mm. uh, that's fun uh, and then did you busk oh yeah you seem like a great busker. Huge, huge amount. You should still bust. That's where I got this voice. I might. Uh, I might. We, we're doing some stuff for Fool Us. Oh, really? And, and we've talked about doing a, a special, like a you know 45-year special. And I've talked about going to the places I actually did and going out and doing my street show, hmm. which I'm not sure I can physically do because it was so fucking loud. Yeah, I bet. The volume. I would work outdoors in the wind for 300 people and everybody would hear me. Wow. And I would... Uh, I, I wonder would, I can hear you now. <laughs> I would put... Um, because I was embarrassed, I would fill a Coke can with chloroseptic and drink it so the anesthetic, because the pain was so great, I was coughing up blood all the time. Wow. From just screaming. Wow. That's how you turn into cheap carny trash. Yeah, but Ma- Teller still claims. Teller still claims that the best thing I, I ever did was my street show. Really? He says you've never been better than what you wrote at nineteen. No way. What uh, did you close with? How did they? How oh, did it end? Uh, I, I closed with. I, I just did this. I just did a, um, uh, a corporate talk, and I had mentioned during that um, street performing and how honest that is. And uh, someone said to me, um, uh, "What was your street show?" And uh, some of it came back to me. I ended the show by taking a uh, black velvet uh, bag, putting it over my head, and juggling knives. Mm. Wicked hard trick. Mm. And I would finish that. Boom, boom, boom. And then Mm. I would take the uh, hood off and I would say, my last trick is not a uh, juggling trick. My last trick is a magic trick. I'm going to take this perfectly ordinary, everyday household executioner's hood and transform it before your very eyes into a change purse. There, it's done. Now, in order to prove I was successful in this transformation, I will need money from each and every one of you. When you're deciding how much to give me, note I say how much and not whether or not. There's a few things you should consider. And then I would say, the people at the back... Uh, you came late. You didn't see the whole show. I don't expect any money from you at all. I really don't. You didn't see the whole show. I don't expect any money. But I do expect you to hold hands, all of you, and stay until everybody in front of you has given me money. Wow. Uh, I'll also say, I think, uh, uh, and then I would went on and on. About That's great. It. And um, <clears throat> I used to do um, phenomenal amounts of money. Really? I made so much money. That uh, I went to an uh, an accountant. I was 19 years old, and I went to an accountant in Philadelphia, and I said, uh, "I'm I'm making a lot of money street performing, and I don't know how to do my taxes with this." And he said, uh, "How much money are you making?" And I said, "I do five to six thousand dollars a weekend in two days." Wow. And he said. 
If you report that to the IRS, they are going to think you're a drug dealer. Hmm. As a matter of fact, I, I think you're a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> he said, just go away and don't try to report your money. And you leave your Coke and he sniffs it. He's like, <laughs> I was right. This kid's on something. Yeah. He's on the syrup. Yeah. That's yeah. hilarious. So you just kept it. Sure. Tax free. Well, yeah. I now, mean, in theory, this is obviously a metaphor. Yeah. And I said earlier that I lie and make up stuff. Yeah, there you this go. This is obviously one of those That's things. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. It's not true. Tell the people, there's so many things that you said. I just love talking to you. You talked about Lauren Michaels and tall people. And I've, I've, I've had a fake conversation going with Lauren Michaels in my head because of what you told me. Yeah, Lauren Michaels told me, uh, I, probably in passing for him, but important to me, <laughs> told me rather pointedly. It's a good book title. In passing you know, to him, important to me. <laughs> My time with Lauren Michaels. <laughs> uh, he said, "You know, um, uh, tall people are not funny. They don't have the uh, they don't have the drive. You just don't get that." And, he, and then he started saying, "Well, artists in general, you know, Picasso not tall, Chaplin not tall." Went to a whole list. And I yeah, said, "Most people aren't tall." I said, "By the way, you not tall. Is that right, Lauren?" <laughs> Um, and then, yes, I have gone uh, – I have, I have made it uh, – I've tried to notice. John Cleese. Yeah. He's, he's one of us. Right, right, right. Um, he's, 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 I, he's I didn't guy. prepare good examples, but I mean you're hilarious. Yeah. I, I have fans. It's hard to get – it's hard, it's hard to get – well, Conan O'Brien. Conan, of course. Howard Stern. Stern, very funny, Stern, very tall. Conan. Uh, we're good. Yeah, we're done. That's all we need. We're done. Stern, I, I, Conan. I, I bet well Stern, Conan, and uh, Cleese. That's all you need. Well, I mean, those are that's our Mount Rushmore, and we can carve it ourselves. Those, <laughs> we could reach from it. the ground. <laughs> there, those are three. Okay, over six five. Gary Goleman. Over six five. What's that? Gary Goleman. I just thought of him. He's a wonderful stand. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you'd love him. Okay, well, we got four. Yeah. Over six five. Yeah. And I think if we do the uh, the distribution, Gaussian distribution of regular height in the country. Mm. Uh, well, of course, John Cleese, we threw that out. But I think we're, we're not talking about them being inordinately, uh, inordinately yeah. uh, unfunny. And then the other... And also, mm. you know, over uh, $50,000 a year for every inch of height. Did you know that? What? Yeah. That's the average? Like you get more money? Yeah. I always say the tallest man running for president before television always won. Oh, but that's also true. Is, which is wild. Super and fun. I think even after television. Is that true? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Take I, that. I mean, Donald Trump could eat off Hillary Clinton's head. Yeah, I know. And remember when he would stand behind her? It was primal. It's the sort of like, look how tall that guy is, <laughs> comparatively. <laughs> you also talked about how wheat domesticated us. Would you tell us wheat that? Wheat domesticated I us. I love that. Well, you're, it's not you're, me. It's, it's, yeah, I know, but it's you're, Harari. You're like a jukebox for fun from, things uh, that I still think about. Have you, have you read Sapiens? No, because just, I have you. Just, just read <laughs> Sapiens. I have this uh, Sapien. Yeah, you know, uh, I have always considered, talk about shooting down your heroes, mm. I've always considered the agricultural revolution to have been wicked important. Mm. Uh, and uh, turns out um, it was probably a really bad idea if you're talking about happiness for human beings. I love this. Um, I love this. You said this to Val. I still remember the look on her face. I, I'm, just, I'm just excited. Keep oh, going. <laughs> wheat. <laughs> wheat. Wheat. What wheat accomplished was a lot more wheat being taken care of by us. Right. Turns out, 
if we just lived in the uh, you know in the Serengeti and uh, ate the food that was around, mm-hmm. uh, population stays reasonable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what they've just discovered, which I find this is from a different book, but I can mix up. It you can mix right? it up. Hit shuffle. Um, I uh, the average right now. The average, and, and, and forgive me for using the word Bushman, hmm. because there's some there, you're supposed to use the actual tribal names, but right. I don't, I don't okay. speak. Oh. Yeah, so, so we have to say Bushman. So I say Bushman. <laughs> Is that a real language? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually see. I would believe that you knew. Like it's either a bit or Penn is just like I want to learn some of the click-based languages. I wanted to learn another language because Tim Jennison told me one language, one thought. You want to get more thoughts. Like it, it changes the way you think. Changes everything. Which is why we were talking about uh, off mic. Which is why a lot of like silent retreats and stuff gets you to think not in language. Yes, that's I, even as a as we'll get to the atheism stuff, which is beautiful and wonderful, and I'm excited. That's one of the things I think you would get behind too. Is it's interesting to take your brain. So and I go, looked. I looked into languages. Yes, and I wanted to pick one. By the way, the one that's top of my list right now, not to ruin the punchline, is Arabic. Is that right? I think I've, I learned Arabic. I could get on the very few watch lists I'm not already on. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be done talking so I could say so you could get on a few lists. And you were there waiting for me <laughs> at the end of um, that joke. But one of the languages I thought would be uh, – there's all the click languages mm. of Africa, which are some of the most ancient languages. And I thought, boy, would that be great if you were able to introduce me and say, we have Penn Gillette on who is a magician – Writer, comedian, mm. and also one of the finest yeah. speakers in Kong. Yeah. And maybe we'll get him to talk a little bit, recite yes. some poetry. But I looked into how hard it is to learn. Yeah. Insane. 10 out of 10? Too hard for me. Oh, yeah. Way off Crazy. the charts. Crazy. Yeah. Off the charts. You're better off like learning Russian and Chinese at the, at the same time. Really? Really hard. But, wow. uh, I've heard that about Ethiopian, like one of the hardest languages. Yeah. Well, that's one of the click languages. Is it a click language? Okay. Um, so the Bushmen. If you count everything, everything, walking to where they have to go, killing things, picking up things, cooking, creating shelter, anything that you could broadly consider to be in any way, shape, or form work, Mm -hmm. 17 hours a week. That's it. Rest of the time, they tell stories, they tell jokes, they sit around. Right. They are amazed that the farmers come in and work tremendously hard. Right. At the behest of the wheat. And <laughs> the wheat is whipping us. And because. Making us work. Because uh, that's given us a mono diet. Yep. There's all sorts of, uh, I mean, there's no obesity, because, not just because they eat less, because there's no, um, there's no mono diet. Right. So you're not eating the same things over and over again. Right. right also, right. their uh, microbiome changes seasonally, mm. which doesn't not happen anyplace else in the world. Right. Different critters in their guts at different, different times. times of the year. Yeah. Yes, as it should be. Yeah, which is which does all sorts of stuff for health. Absolutely. But a mono diet, eating tons and tons of wheat. Now we have more people, and we're doing more work. And I think you were like less dancing, less singing, and less fucking. Much less of all those. Is, which is crazy. Yeah. We've lost the narrative, and it's fucking wheat. You know, you and I should be uh, able to, and this is something I never do. Yeah. Uh, how often do you sit for five hours 
out with your friends with your feet up, tell the jokes and cup of coffee that you're not monetizing in some way. I know. It's crazy. I think it's weird that one of the reasons I do this podcast, I, I've yes. found an excuse to do it. Exactly. But it, it used to be that we'd all be doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is which – is, like Val and I, like I said, we've been watching less television and now we sit around and, and like talk and laugh. And I was like, this used to be what life was. <laughs> like we've kind of lost it. We, we work too hard. Then we binge our entertainment in like a couple hours and you know, we go you, to bed. You, you mentioned watching TV. Uh, David Hockney, who you know was the inspiration for Tim's Vermeer. Ah. Um, Hockney uh, wrote a book uh, uh, about uh, Vermeer and about art using lens. He didn't know what Hockney did was he wrote a whodunit without mm-hmm. knowing whodunit. Mm-hmm. He knew there was some mystery behind the Vermeers. And somebody it was. did it. Tim. Tim. He wrote a somebody did it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Hockney points out, man, this blew my mind. And I haven't seen anybody talk about this. He, he's like one paragraph mm. before the invention of film and television, we never got to be privy to a conversation that we weren't part of. Interesting. And now we spend all this time watching things that we aren't part of. Have nothing to do with it. If you had, uh, if you wanted to listen to someone speak, they had to know you were there. Mm. Now we're having this conversation people and people are listening, are listening that we don't know we're there. Yeah. And I think that change psychologically, which is brand new, right? That's only yeah. a blip. 100 years. It's a blip. Yeah. 100 years. Um, I think it's a huge thing. It is a huge thing. And there's also something about – I bring this up all the time. We're having our needs met by people who don't authentically care about us. Right. You know what I mean? I, I think one of the most interesting things about the time we're living in is we're figuring out that having our needs met isn't contentment. You know what I mean? It's like you can be sitting on a couch watching whatever you want to watch and eating whatever you want to eat. Like Grubhub will bring it to you, but none of it was prepared lovingly or deliberately. Meaning like when your wife makes a sandwich for your son or daughter, it could be a crap sandwich, but she made it with intention. You're in the room. It's di- you're in the room. It's different. Yeah. And I've just noticed it's only been a week or so of, of just laying off all types of entertainment, I- internet, anything, just kind of like being a little bit more – I'm across all, the street getting my coffee. I'm like fascinated by the world. I'm reading Four Arguments for the Elimination of Television, that book from 1978. Yeah. Very interesting book. And he's just talking about like I used to look at nature and be moved to tears. And like this is in the 70s. <laughs> and, he, and he was just like I'm dulled. We're all turning into Jim Carrey. And that's good. In which movie? Did you see, you see Jim and Andy? Jim and Andy. Yeah, I did. Jim Carrey is becoming the philosopher for our time. Yeah. He's now – I just thought he was you know, a douchebag. Now, now he's the philosopher. I know he's 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 who I want to follow. He's got my I, I have my target on him for we're coming up on our four hundredth episode. I'm like I'd love to have well, Jim Carrey. On. Give him every inch of my love. Tell him that I absolutely love. Yeah, him. Is, I met him years and years ago and liked him. Yeah, really liked him. But you're shocked to see but now Rubberface turn into a really important thinker. It's interesting though because Jim is very, from what I can tell, he's very we're all one. He smoked DMT. He believes that a lot of stuff that I have to imagine you don't believe. I know. I watched uh, Jim and Andy carefully for that. Yeah. And uh, it did not seem did not seem that far from my beliefs. See, that's what I. But think. I also can respect people. Who, to- of course, you we can. don't agree. This is why I love you. I love you. And and when you disagree with somebody, there's a lot to learn from Jim Carrey. For sure. Ah, oh, I love that. 
But you have a, a big open heart, and, and, and we didn't – so for Crashing, I wanted Pete to meet an atheist, my character Pete, and, and you know, me, to, <laughs> to, to meet an atheist. But I wanted a beautiful atheist. And, and not to say that it's a short list, but it is kind of a short list. Somebody in show business that could really compassionately – people are drawn to the way you talk about it. A lot of times, atheism can get a bad rap, and I think you give it some of that yeah, well, from warmth. Its, from you its, give it warmth. From its very name. You know, it's it's defined name. by what you don't believe. Yeah, it's, it's a negation. It's an atheist. I don't believe in atheists. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you don't feel that way. You Let's talk about it. Let's, okay. uh, I remember your points because I had to edit that scene <laughs> for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I know you've said it a million times, but there's a lot of people on this podcast. I've gotten a lot of flack, loving flack, because I misrepresent atheists. And I've always done tried to get better and better. And since we talked on the show, I now quote you – more than anybody. We used to talk about the well. You throw a, a thousand-sided die down a well, and uh, one of the numbers means there is a God in the way that we think of him, you know, conscious, external, observing God. That's one of the numbers we're just saying. An atheist would say, we think it probably didn't land on that, like, or, or there's no evidence that it did. Mm-hmm. But what I found talking to you uh, starts with the scientific revolution. Why, why don't you – start wherever you want. I mean, <coughs> well, take the reins. <laughs> well, you know um, – it's so hard to know uh, where 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 to start on this, but um, uh, what I find is that my statement of atheism is that everything is enough. Right. Uh, I find you're a taste of strawberry atheist. <laughs> you know what I mean. I You're a look at a baby, watch a sunset atheist. Yeah, uh, I think I might have told you the story. My wife and I were coming out of a supermarket, mm. and uh, and uh, it was just this moment where a man came out between us. So there were three people standing up, mm. and my wife and I were either side of this guy, and we were all arrested by a sunset mm. in Vegas, which, as everywhere, can be gorgeous, mm-hmm. and three people carrying groceries, are all looking at this, uh, at this sunset. And the guy between us says, not to us, but to the world, mm. uh, rhetorically, how could anyone look at that sunset and say there's no God? Mm. Simultaneously in stereo on both sides of him came, there's no God. <laughs> <laughs> you did not tell me that story. <laughs> and it was this great moment. That's so funny. And people did uh, because atheism, if they see a, a pigeon choking on its own vomit in a gutter. <laughs> there's no God. That's the normal scenario. I know, I know, and that's so insane. You're looking. That's why I love this. It's You're so looking insane. at beauty because and going. This is this is enough. Uh, you uh, you have one. I have one. You have one in in any way. Oh, one. At the W-O-N. World. You have one uh, indescribable, unimaginable lottery. Mm-hmm. The chances of you being here as you are uh, complete might as well be zero. Right. You've won that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have, for reasons we don't understand, the capacity for joy. You have. You know, uh, I asked Richard Dawkins, you know, what was, the, what was the hardest question to answer? He said the hardest question coming up is consciousness. We do not know what consciousness is. We have no clue what consciousness is. Uh, no atheist knows. No Christian knows. 
Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can explain, you know, Darwin explains a lot. We can explain almost everything we do except knowing that we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Really hard, hard problem that a lot of, I mean, tons of people are working on. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on it. We're on it. <laughs> uh, it's on itself. <laughs> but, uh, um, and it, it amazes me. Atheists often try to say, well, the reason we have religion is fear of death. The reason we have religion is uh, just fear, you know. And I think it's the opposite. I think it's some sort of – I wish there were a, a non-pejorative word for this, but I think it's a kind of greed, hmm. you know. Uh, I watched uh, – you know, I, when my children were born, I, the love that I felt, but there's real good evolutionary reasons for it. Then there's the – don't eat this. The, conscious, the <laughs> consciousness that we don't know, um, it just wells up in you. Right. And my feeling was, man, are you telling me that somebody feels what I'm feeling now and goes, hey, I want more. Mm-hmm. I want heaven after this. Well, this is called spiritual materialism. Yeah. Which is, which is a real thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm into spiritual pursuits. That's one of the things. This is why you and I agree. Mm-hmm. I think you should be stopped in your tracks with this and with the miracle molecules are miracles mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and own that and the way i used to believe was heaven and and promises for later and stuff and it was yanking me out of this world so i'm i'm right there with you yeah so my basic feeling about atheism is uh is you don't want to get between um you and your life mm. And, uh, but that, that, that's it. I'm sorry to keep interrupting. It's making life an object. And we think about objects. This is Ram Dass. So you're always one thought away from it. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to like dissolving and getting rid of these structures that are – it's like the word genius. It's removing yeah, you. Yeah. The word God, I think, to you is removing you from this, from dissolving into it like sugar into iced tea, just like being there. I also uh, – a friend, a friend of mine um, – once said to me, I don't believe other people believe in God. That's how much of an atheist I am. I don't believe, I think they're lying to us. <laughs> he said, because, you know, I watch people at the checkout counter at the supermarket. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to conflate all these things, but you'll understand. Uh, and there's a, uh, there's a tabloid newspaper that says aliens have landed in South Dakota. Proof on the inside. Mm-hmm. And someone reaches up and grabs that tabloid, mm-hmm. and then we say, boy, that stupid person believes that. Mm-hmm. But that stupid person does not believe that. Mm-hmm. Because if that person believed that, they that, wouldn't pay for the magazine. Right. They'd just go they wouldn't more pay for their that. groceries. <laughs> they would go right to Dakota. Yes. Right? A whole life falls apart. This is one of my philosophies growing up, is I, I realized that if I believed that if you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell all I would ever talk about was you. You said you this. You would hold me down. You Exactly. You said, it, say a what you say. It's train, your moral obligation. A train is coming at me. Exactly. And if you really believe that. Here's a train. Why the fuck are we talking about Stranger Things right I'm now? Standing on the, <laughs> I'm standing on the tracks. Yes. There's a train. You hear that train. You see that train. There's no doubt in your mind that a train's coming at me. Yeah. I say to you, there's no train there. Right. You go, no, no, Penn. There's a train there. 
and we have a conversation for a certain amount of time. And then at some point, hmm. you jump me. Yeah. We're going to get you off the tracks. We'll argue about this later, but let's save your life first. Right, right, right. I did a thing called oh, that had a line in it called, uh, uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not preach about eternity to them? How much you have to hate that person mm. to at a cocktail party go, well, you know, I didn't want to get a little argument, so I just let him go. Exactly. So that. Buddy, this was a turning point in my own faith. Was I was like, re- I don't think I believe because otherwise I'd be telling everybody. That is a. That is a re- th- I recorded that video mm. and the Campus Crusade for Christ got in touch with me. I did it for Sony for a thing called Pen Points. And the Campus Crusade for Christ got in touch with me and said, can we use your video yes. for, for recruitment? I love that. And I said to them... Um, I love that they wanted it. It's I, I don't want it edited. It starts with, there is no God. I'm sure there's no God. But here, if you did believe in God, here's what you do. And yeah. they said, we will not edit it. Except you do say uh, an obscenity. And I said, <laughs> I say fuck. And they went, yeah, you say fuck. <laughs> I said, you can take that out. And uh, I said, you have to get permission from Sony. Can I also interject, though, that these are my people. The fact that we're more offended at fuck than you saying you hate me eternally. You know what I'm saying? This is where we've lost the narrative. I told this story before. Tony Campolo was this beautiful pastor who came and spoke at my church. He was like, by the time I'm done speaking, 30,000 children will be dead of of preventable disease and uh, starvation. And most of you don't give a shit. And everyone gasped and he goes, and now most of you care more that I said shit than the fact that – doesn't that sound like a joke you would write? Yeah, it's a great joke. And I, I was floored. I was like, this – these are those people that I'm like – Well, that's the hand clapping story. Yeah. What, what hand clapping? Well, this is, this, is, this is apocryphal. It's not true. Yeah. It, it is an urban myth and it's about Bono. Mm. That Bono walked out on stage and said, every time I clap my hands, a child is dying of starvation. And some of the audience went, stop clapping your fucking hands. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it's not true. That's not true. hilarious. It's told everybody is true story, but it's not. I, yes. I, be, you know it's not true. But still, I'm glad we told it's it. Great. It's a good story. But, uh, but so, uh, so you, they asked me to, to do this. Yeah, cr- Campus Crusade. So I told, um, you know, I told Dawkins, I told Richard Dawkins. I said, uh, I'm letting the Campus Crusade for Christ use my... Why would you be doing that? Isn't that contrary to everything? I said, it's not contrary to anything. I told the truth as I see it. They want to yeah. pass around the truth that I see it. Right. So then this has gotten, that little video I did, it got bootlegged by a lot of people who showed it without getting permission from Sony. Mm. As a matter of fact, you can go online and, watch and find a one-hour sermon that uses my video in the middle of it. Wow. This is a pendulette atheist. And it's a whole sermon that you can give, a pastor can give. Wow. And it kills me because they never bother getting permission. That's hilarious. But as my answer to Richard Dawkins, I've had now two people, small number, but a number. Two people come to me and go, you know, I was at my church and they did a whole thing about you being an atheist and why you shouldn't be. And they showed that video. Yeah. And then I went and watched other videos of yours, and, and then I read your book, yeah. and now I'm calling myself an atheist. See, what I love about you is that you, you're, you're not working for anybody. There's no institution. If, and if somebody wants your truth, even if it's not for your cause— If I believe it's the that's truth. That's what I'm saying. You, if I believe it's the truth. And that was another one of your points is you go, religion, there's no—what did you say? There's no, like, 
how do, I'm like, what about enlightened beings? What about these people, special teachers? And you're like, what are the credentials for these people? Mm. And, and how do we know these things are true? Well, you know, Christopher Hitchens had a great sentence, mm. which he said, uh, what, and this is so important. I don't know, and I don't believe anyone else does either. Right. That is atheism in a nutshell. Which, by the way, since then I've quoted you. You tell me the, the scientific revolution came down to three words that no king, no country, no had power ever said. system had ever said. Never I said. don't know. Never said it. And then when I said to you on the show, uh, is, you believe there's no God. You go, I don't know. There could be. I believe in infinite possibilities. I believe it's most likely that there is not. Yeah. And then when I, tell, when I represent that attitude to people, and I'm sure you get this all the time, but forgive me. I'd like to set the record straight. They say, well, that's an agnostic. Ah, well, help, help me there because I, I'm, you're doing me a favor because I don't know what to say. To well, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll lay this on you. Uh, <laughs> first of all, the word agnostic pretty much in modern usage was copped by uh, Thomas Huxley. Okay. Um, Thomas Huxley was considered Darwin's pit bull. Okay. And no one really knows what was going on. But Darwin's wife was the heir to the Wedgwood fortune. And she was a socialite. And Darwin, uh, I don't want to claim things that you can't prove, but Darwin probably had leaned toward atheist pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. But, but it, at a time when it, you really couldn't say that, but right? it, Well, it's hard to say. Uh-huh. At a time when it might be more acceptable than it is today. But hmm. probably, probably his wife didn't really, um, didn't really want them to be out of her social circle. I and she had the power of the purse. Ah. So Thomas Huxley came along. He's over there with his turtles. <laughs> you want to stay on those islands? Yeah. <laughs> Keep Tom, your mouth shut. <laughs> Thomas, Thomas Huxley. Well, actually, you want to stay walking in the backyard thinking about worms. Which is exactly. exactly. Um, uh, Somebody's got to fund your Huxley worm Huxley came habit. along uh-huh. and, and said, no, no, I really believe Darwinism means there's no God. And they found recently that, that they never knew before there were checks from Darwin to Huxley, mm. even though Darwin never supported Huxley private, publicly. Mm. Huxley came out and for some reason preached atheism without ever using the word atheist. He used the word agnostic. Mm. And some people speculate that that was the Darwin family saying don't the use wink. that word. Yeah, yeah, I see. Now, it's really interesting because the end of the 19th century in America – the three highest paid speakers, we're talking just money, nothing else, money. Three highest paid speakers, all atheists talking about atheism. Hmm. The Chicago circuit, all that stuff. I'm talking about 1890 or so. So you've got Thomas Huxley, Mark Twain, Robert Ingersoll. Hmm. Uh, all of them invited to the White House. Atheist river, and then I believe uh, uh, the socialists come in, cop atheism, and run with it. But atheism was rather. But going to all this, so I believe that Thomas Huxley used the word agnostic as a cop out. Mm. But let's stick out. Let's keep the history away. Let's talk about the word and the ideas. The ideas are important. Agnostic means don't know. Gnostic is knowledge. A gnostic don't know. Okay. So what you're answering there is not a theological question. You're answering an epistemological question. Mm-hmm. So I ask you, Pete, 
is it possible to know for sure whether there's a God or not? And you say, well, I really think that. No, no, no. Is it possible to know for sure that there's a God or not? And you say, no. Okay. Now you've answered the epistemological question. It's an epistemological question that I think almost everybody, no. But the majority of people would answer, okay, I, I can't really know for sure. Mm-hmm. That's agnostic. That's epistemological. How do we obtain knowledge? Mm-hmm. Now, the theological question is, Pete, do you believe mm-hmm. there's a God? Mm-hmm. And then you answer me, well, I don't think the knowledge can be known. No, 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 no. That wasn't the question. Right. I'm asking you to report to report on the state of your heart right now. I'm not saying, did you believe in God a minute ago? I'm not saying you're going to believe in God tomorrow. I'm saying it right this second. And by the way, what I'm talking about is a straight Christian principle. This is straight Martin Luther, okay? Mm. This is, you know, nailed up on the church house wall. This is it. In your heart, which is, you know, the big difference from Protestant to Catholic. In your heart... Do you believe right now there's a God? That's the theological question. So when you say to me, are you an atheist? And I answer, I'm agnostic. It's a different, you change the subject. You change the subject. So I believe, and there's arguments to this that are valid, but I don't buy them. Um, I believe if I don't know, I don't actively believe. So when Glenn Beck says to me, um, why don't you call yourself agnostic agnostic instead of atheist? Uh, Why don't you leave that open? I say, because I want to show respect for you. Because the people that I know that are strong Christians, they care very much what's in your heart. And saying, well, I don't think you can know, has not answered their question at all. And I believe if you don't know in your heart right now that there's a God, you owe it to the world, especially to the Christian. To tell them. To say, I don't feel that. And also to be a representative of the other way because that is your truth. But no, no, not even for that. No? I'm just saying if if you say – let's – I'm not saying you, Pete, but you as the, uh, as the straw yeah. man mm-hmm. uh, say to me – I'm a very strong Christian. Do you feel God in your heart? And I say, well, I'm agnostic. I can't really know. There's an insult to you there. Yeah. Because the question I asked you was, what's in your heart right yeah. now? What kind of music do you like? I like pasta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. So my point is to be respectful to everybody who uses the word atheist. Now, I have not said... I'm going to be atheist a minute from now because I can't predict the future. Mm-hmm. You know, because people always say that to me. Well, how do you know? What could come along? Couldn't you change? I go, well, that wasn't your question. You didn't ask me what's the stock exchange going to be in a week because I don't know. But I, I find that – I wish there was another word besides spiritual, but I'm just going to use it and then we'll think about it later. I find that deeply spiritual in a beautiful way because you're actually being in the moment. We can agree that spiritual right. means – employing a virtue of the spiritual pursuit. Sam Harris, (laughs) Sam Harris, you know, uh, I've been arguing with him forever. He uses the word spiritual in an atheist way, and it makes me crazy. (laughs) But his book is actually very good. And I want to tell, I want to, I want to, oh, I got to say this. 
<laughs> I got to say this, and I don't have the information with me, so I can't really show off. <laughs> but Richard Dawkins, I think the book came, did the book come out. The spirit, the spirit book. Um, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called like the uh, spirituality of atheists, right? This spirituality of atheists. Uh huh. I don't know what it's called, but it came out, and he sent it to me six months ahead of time and said, um, "Would you uh, would you write a blurb for the back of this, please?" And I wrote him the greatest blurb. And I, I'm saying this not to brag, but because it's absolute fact. Mm. I wrote him the greatest blurb in the history of the world. <laughs> okay. okay. That's what you believe in your heart. Yes. <laughs> it's also true. Ah! It's what you must believe. Too. It is true. true. Okay. I said, there's only two people that I allow to use. Uh... Oh, no. It's, I'm sorry. I, I blew the whole joke. Spirit is Sam Harris. He said the soul of the atheist. The soul Use of the, the word soul. Sorry. Soul of the atheist. So... I said, here's the blurb. There's only two people I will allow to use the word soul in my presence. One is James Brown. One is Richard Dawkins. So, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for star time? Now it's Mr. Please, 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 the hardest working man in science. I'm talking about ah. the godfather of atheism. <laughs> Give it up right now. Spotlight on the stage. Live at the Apollo, Richard Dawkins. That's amazing. And I said it to him, and he didn't like it. No. And uh, I said to uh, I said to my friend uh, Lawrence Krauss, who tours with uh, with Richard Dawkins, I sent that to him and said, "Why? Why?" Yeah. And Lawrence Krauss said, "Richard Dawkins." probably doesn't know who James Brown is. No. And I said, well, wait, 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 wait. I will not accept that. I will not. So I haven't seen Richard since then. But next time I see Richard Dawkins, I'm going to say to him, get on uh, up. <laughs> uh, do you know who James Brown is? If yeah. he says no, I'm going to say, you've negated every piece of writing you've ever That's done. So you funny. cannot write with authority about the world without knowing James Brown. We should, Mr. Please, please, please. We should print up some tracks <laughs> to convert them. James Brown died for your bad music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I shudder to think what Richard Dawkins listens to. I also remember, um, yeah, there's something about that. I mean, sometimes atheists can get a bad rap for not uh, being open, being a little too in their head, not a also, lot of heart. Then, they, then people say to me afterwards, well, then how can you be sure there's no God? I go, I, I never said that. You asked me to report on my heart, you know, yeah. and I report on my heart. Is your foot hurting now? Yes. Well, how do you know your foot's going to be hurting forever? I don't. Right. You asked me to report on the state of my foot. I reported it. <laughs> right. I remember you also <laughs> talked about like science really turning you on because it's not – there isn't a science – remember saying this? There isn't a science for China and a science oh, for yeah, South well, America. Yeah, yeah. The fact is if you have the religion of the area you grew up in, yes, <laughs> you have to be very suspect. Buddy, very can suspect. we high-five? <laughs> because we agree – inherited faith is a starter kit – for a world, a way to look at the world. You can chart the world. You can say, you know, um, this person was born in this village in Syria. What are the chances they're a Muslim? Yeah. And we can figure that out and be right. Yep. Okay? If you say um, uh, this person, even at Cambridge or Oxford mm -hmm. or MIT, mm -hmm. say... They believe that energy can never be re – information can never be released from a black hole. 
even those specific, mm-hmm. Cambridge, Oxford, and MIT, which all have different schools of thought on that, mm-hmm. you still can't be sure. Mm. Also, it might have changed while you were asking the question. That's right. Yeah, and that is, that's the part that once you tell me that truth is cultural, I'm very skeptical. Mm-hmm. You know, well, Reza Aslan, do you know who that is? Yeah, he, he wrote the book Zealot. He wrote a new book called God: A Human History. Very interesting oh, yeah. guy, religious scholar. Uh, he talked about the role of religion being a cultural identity first and foremost. Mm-hmm. He was like, we need to yield and surrender to the idea that it has so much to, more to do with the fact that you're from Boston and you're a Red Sox fan, or you're from North America and you're a Christian, or whatever it might be. You're from this neighborhood and you're a Muslim. From this area and you're, you're well, I, I read the Bible. Right. Because ignorance of your culture is not considered cool, as the residents say. You know, I, if you want to read Shakespeare, if you want to listen to Bob Dylan, you need to have uh, some sort of idea of the Bible. You just need to. Cultural literacy. That's what my professor, Mr. Brown, shout out to Mr. Brown, my favorite teacher in high school. Ow! <laughs> Get on the scene like a sex machine. Mr. Brown was on the scene. Ow! And uh, Mr. Brown. Two times. Ow, ow! <laughs> I actually think he might have been more religious than we knew, but he was like, you guys should know the Bible just because it's a very important book. Like you're not going to – like uh, the writing on the wall, these these types of phrases that we well, yeah. that we use are all re- biblical references. Well, yes, except you didn't need to pull out that example. You could go through this interview so far and there have been biblical references sure, all the yeah. way through sure. that were never underlined. People didn't know what they are. For sure. Everything – is the Bible or Shakespeare. <laughs> right, I know, I know. And a lot of Shakespeare is the Bible. Right. <laughs> but you, you, one thing that I remember you saying, I remember it was hard to do that scene with you because there's me now and there's me then. And I was playing me then. And then there were like every once in a while a little me now would slip through. And I would say, what about a unif- uni- unifying principle? Meaning, I remember saying this to you, isn't mathematics and the logic of the world, the mathematical preciseness of the world, kind of the language of God. And do you remember you quoted Einstein to me? Do you remember that? Or the guy somebody, 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 no, it was somebody backed Einstein into the corner, into a corner, and was like, "Look, if you want me to say that oh, I yeah. believe in, yeah, there's no sort of personal God or anything like he that." He didn't believe in a personal God, but he was like, "If you wanted to find God as order, yeah. as natural law, which is which is why you know people people will say to me." Um, well, you're saying you don't believe in love? And I go, well, if we're going to change what the word means. <laughs> right. You know, if you say God means Pop-Tarts, then yes, I believe in right. God. I've seen Pop-Tarts. Right. You know? I have that evidence. But love is a different thing. And, of course, there's this wonderful Tim Minchin. I love was, Tim Minchin. Was He's brilliant. sat right there. Uh, Tim Minchin great has a, a great time. You know, love without evidence is stalking. <laughs> We do have we do have evidence. I remember Tim mentioned here. I, I was talking about God being a metaphor for a way to explain the the unknown, and he went the not yet known. Isn't that a great little mm-hmm. atheist moment? He wouldn't even let me have the unknown, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was fun. Yeah. But I, um, that idea of of a harmony to the universe. I, I was thinking about my definition of God is awareness. That's I have a very 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 liberal. Understanding. Right, but so you're talking about consciousness. Why and aren't you using the word awareness? I can, if you'd like. Yeah. I, I find so this is the real dangerous thing. This is the thing that um, Hawking made this huge mistake, and uh, Einstein made this huge mistake, and, and um, they both corrected it. Hawking corrected it very publicly. But they both talked about God as awareness and a beauty and a symmetry and all that. 
and then what they don't understand is when they what they what they don't understand because I can explain to Einstein the way he should think. Um, <laughs> what that turns out historically to be a mistake is that that word is so loaded, right? You know, it's a little like if you say, "Well, of course I believe in white power. I believe that white people should have right. this." Well, no, you don't. Once you said those two words together, right. motherfucker, we don't care what you said after There's that. too many people getting killed because they're gay in the name of God for us to still use that word. Yeah, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. And I, and I understand that. I, I have psychological ties. There's a power for me personally, maybe not set, talking to you, not talking publicly, perhaps. That's something for me to consider. But I like reclaiming the vocabulary of my youth and and turning it in my favor. It feel it feels nice for mm-hmm. me. It's to take something that was given it's to just, me it's, it's, as a scary Greek, you know, Zeus type god. It's just how much uh, how much is that worth? That's a great question. How much is that worth? Who how am I serving? I might be serving myself when I say god. yeah. And how much is it worth to you? Yeah, you know, how, how much damage are you willing to do? Uh, to, for that feeling, and the answer might be that there's not that much damage, and it's a, right. You know, I'm, that, I mean, what I'm saying is, no, no, that was I not a rhetorical you. question. Oh, that was no. an honest question. I love this. I, I'm, I'm only here to be challenged. That's a wonderful thing for me to kind of meditate. You know, on. Uh, but, uh, and, uh, you know, I've gone through these uh, because over the past uh, three or four years, I've fallen deep into uh, into into my hippie phase mm. uh, because uh, I read. Uh, Buddhism all the time now. Really? I, uh, uh, Sam Harris had a big effect on me with that. Mm-hmm. I've also, you know, now that I am often vegan, yeah. uh, not strictly vegan. Well, you know, I, I call myself a flegan. Flexible yes, vegan. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love go. that. Um, and uh, I just, uh, a lot of that stuff of uh, being here and now, I was just talking to Glenn the other day and he was saying, you know, uh, because Penn and Teller all, I mean, James Brown claimed it. James Brown died, but now Penn and Teller are the hardest working men in show business. Ah. Uh, we don't take any time off ever, and Teller finally wants to take a little time off. And uh, I said, you know, what I'd like to do most is go to a uh, you know silent retreat. I would love that. that. You know, that's what I want to do. That's amazing. You know, I want to. Just- but that's interesting to me because off mic we were talking. One of the things we love. You're so rational, and it's beautiful. And it brought us phones and these microphones and bridges and, and vaccines and cures and amazing stuff. I'm, I'm so there. But there is this quality and one of the spiritual pursuits is, is letting your mind be your servant, not your master. Mm-hmm. That is one of those things. So when we talk – you were saying like natural law being different from rational law because natural law has room for paradox, something being something while also not being, and mm-hmm. all these things that don't add up in our mind. So one of the things that I wonder if it's frustrating for you, maybe not frustrating is the right word, but is, is the idea that I actually strive for a lot through mantra, through breathing, whatever it might be, is to actually stop thinking. Yeah, all, all the, I, I do uh, – I actually uh, – I do for the past – 720 days without a break, I have done uh, you know at least 10 minutes of mindfulness every day. It really, I'm not surprised at all, but I, I, I love it. It's interesting, though. See, this is why I love the, the soulful, ah, the heartful atheist. <laughs> Ow, Mr. Although, please, please, please. Although different Buddhists— That's a great blurb, isn't it? <laughs> it's a great blurb. Okay. The second half is going to be in italics, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, at a certain point, it needs and to I take also, a— I also—I didn't have it on my head, but I went 
to the Live at the Apollo yes. and took it word for word. Oh, my goodness. So it was, really was Mr. Please, Please, Please. You're magical. So even though we can use our brains to, to make these airtight, beautiful like uh, poems of like, we don't know, and anyone that says they know, and if you really think I'm in front of a train and it's so pleasing to our mind, there's this other type of – like I don't believe you've taken psychedelics. No. No, no drinking, no drugs. Right. One of the things that's interesting, I would love for you to take psychedelics. I, I well, mean, you know, I, you, I would, I would, Rick Rubin, and Trey Parker. I would fund The three it. of you. Yeah. But, Penn, oh. I, I guarantee – Terrence McKenna said going through your life without taking psychedelics is like going through your life without having sex. Because it's not – I think for sure it won't be what you think it is. It's not this like pulsating, caffeinated up – it's not like everything's great. It, I, I would. This is one of the things I wanted to say to you. It doesn't actually add something the way alcohol does. I think alcohol adds this like slippery, oily kind of hard filter over you. I feel like psychedelics actually remove something. So the you that stops in his tracks at leaving a supermarket, that's the guy that when we eat these substances, you actually go into that place. Well, you know, um, I, uh, I do a lot of reading about this. You know, I've, I, I've argued – and I don't think I would argue now because I think I've changed. But I have argued in the past that um, uh, acid was really, really important to our culture, mm. and that I got all the benefits without from, taking it. from listening to Hendrix. You know yeah. that that and reading the electric Kool-Aid acid test mm-hmm. and uh, all of that. Harvard Psychedelic that. Club. What's that? Harvard Psychedelic Club is a good one. Yeah, I have read that. Doors of Perception. Yeah, and uh, Sam Harris. You know who uh, his his book. Could easily be called "I Love Acid," mm. um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, I argue with him a little bit because I yeah. said he is appalled by the idea of tobacco and heroin, and he has a little bit of trouble with the logic of why those are different, you know. Mm. But um, I will tell you, when people talk to me about drugs, the drug that I hate the most, the drug that I'm farthest from ever doing, is wine. Mm. Boy, do I dislike people who have wine with dinner. Can you please talk for 10 minutes? Take, <laughs> I'll be sitting here. Take a little bit. <laughs> Since I saw you, I've stopped, drink, stopped drinking. Uh, uh, yeah. People having, just take the edge off. Well, that's the last thing I want from anybody. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, we're going to just have some wine. It'll take the edge off. Yes. I want the edge on for everybody I'm talking to. I want them at their best. I don't want someone to say, I'm going to be a little stupider so we can have hang you, out. Val and I went to this thing, and everyone was drunk on wine, all these grown-ups. And there was one child there, obviously sober. I'm there. I'm sober. Val might have had a little something, but I think she was sober. And we were all just watching how grown, red-lipped adults talk to children and it's fucking where the wild things are. It's like scary as yeah. shit. They're like, this guy is going to be a tennis player. Like, get the, get the fuck away from this kid. You're a scary man. Like, your inhibitions are gone. They should be up because there's an impressionable child here. Like, it really was eye-opening to me. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's much temptation for wine. I understand. But there is a very strong temptation for LSD and heroin. Yeah. Oh, really? Heroin, too? Well, just because the Velvet Underground. Okay. <laughs> you know, under, Lou Reed found something with heroin. Although as I became very good friends with Lou Reed. Oh, wow. Lou Reed uh, would say to me all the time, any drug you want to know about, Penn, you just talk to Uncle Lou. And he'll tell I've you. done it all. I've wow. Done. And then Lou also said, I, I don't do a Lou Reed impersonation, which is a shame, <laughs> but I will bring down the tone some. Uh, Lou Reed did say to me, 
speaking on behalf of the people of the world, and I often do. Ah. We don't want to see you fucked up. That's funny. <laughs> I, I, that's what I like about you is you found a frequency, and it's a, it's a nice high one, and you're there. That, so when I say, Pen, I, want, I personally – and I'm not that attached to this desire. It would be interesting if your genius well, well, brain – Because one of the things about it – sorry. One of the things about it is you have access to your mind in a way that you never do. It's all there. And yeah. you go like, oh, wow. This is me. And you play on the playground of you, of your personality, of your thoughts, sometimes your fears, but it's all kind of playable. And I think somebody of your, of your depth and intelligence would go, this is fun because you'd get to hang out with yourself well, from within, which is really fucking – Trey Parker considers it to be – The drummer a, of – Trey Parker of he, South Park. Oh, excuse me. I'm thinking uh, of a different person. <laughs> Trey, Trey Parker thinks it is a huge character flaw. Interesting. Me not doing drugs. And as a matter of fact, he rushed when I had dental surgery, was accidentally overdosed and was high. He rushed to hang out with me wow. and said, oh, by the way, I'm right. I like you. I. That's so funny. I, one of the things that with mushrooms especially, I'm like, it's not a drug in the but sense. But mushroom, you don't have the dosage control, do you? Don't you want more dosage control than you have with mushrooms? I think you might like LSD because you do have scientific precision. You really can I go like – I do like the precision. What's that? I do like precision. This, it was made in a lab. I, I've only taken micro doses of it, small, like 400 milligrams of it, nothing major, nothing, not enough to like trip hard. Mushrooms, I have tripped hard on it. The thing that I wanted to – that I've been thinking about lately um, was I remember Bill Nye did this podcast and he expressed frustration – with the idea that people would ask him, like, which freezes faster, a glass of warm water or a glass of cold mm -hmm. water? Because I've heard warm freezes faster. And he just – he, he kind of in a very delightful way was like, you have these things in your house. <laughs> if you're curious, do it. Put them in your fridge. Like, what are you doing? That's how I feel when people who don't believe in an explorable and infinitely knowable state of awareness – I didn't use the G word, <laughs> who don't take psychedelics. Because I think all of your feelings would still be there. But it just might you, be a little bit of Don't you need a control group? Don't you want some guy who's not doing it? We have millions of those people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what Ram Dass says about that that I think you might like? You know who Ram Dass is? You, 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 you said here now. <laughs> no, I've read Be Here Now. <laughs> Be Here Now is pretty close to a book of, an, of a mushroom trip, of an acid trip sort of thing. Okay. But he says um, he was kicked out of Harvard, obviously, for Talk. suggesting that these psychedelics should be studied. And, he's, and they're like, there's no way to do it. You don't understand that you take it. There's no control. And he goes, well, don't look at it. Don't look at, at me as a scientist. Look at me as data. I, <laughs> I, I'm a datum. That's yeah. what he said. Because Tim Leary was like, no, I am a scientist, damn it. And Ram Dass was just like, you have me. I'm not. This is the sort of thing that can only be explored from within. But what I like about it is, is all of those deep, profound things that kind of make sense, that sound beautiful, about oneness, about presence, about mindfulness, about love, about being here for each other and, and enjoying the sunset. You become them on these substances. You don't know them. You are them. And it's very hard to explain. Yeah, but you don't believe it's cheating. No, I believe that God uh, forgive. We we this is this is another Ram Dass quote. He goes, uh, but it wasn't his line. He goes, uh, we're a materialist society, the Western world. So God came to us as a material, 
and that's it. And, and, <laughs> and that's it. In yeah. India, it's not. It's and not you, that you way. use that as an example of sophistry. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, we want an example of something. Well, yeah. it's it's kind of circular. You take it though; it does cheat, but it shows you your potential. When we talk about three notebooks, there's almost like an internal three notebooks of your like. Mm-hmm. There's so many more rooms to my inner world. Well, I have I have I have a great deal of interest in that. Yeah, that's you know, not it's uh, not out of the question. I love you. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I, I don't have to say that because we're not debating. I'm just like. Obviously, I frame it differently, but I, I see so much truth in what you say. And, and I also see you relieving so much suffering. Like the story of your mother towards the end of her life. You said like she, she gave up. What was the hooey on your Bible? Oh, she said, yeah, she said fooey on your Bible. Fooey on your Bible. Yeah. Because it was anti-gay or something. Yeah, because they, uh, the, uh, the elders in the church uh, were uh, being very, very uh, cruel to uh, the pastor they had mm. who was a uh, lesbian and they were being awful to her and she was being um, recruited mm. as one of the people that was been to the church forever and uh, to um, to uh, join their, uh, their, their, their attacks on her mm. and she said well I think we should treat her nicely and they said well you should read your bible what it says about homosexuality and my mother said fooey on your bible mm. which is much stronger than fuck God hard in the ass. Right. I mean, from her from point her. of view, to say that was just incredible. I love that. I just was, you know, my, my, my mother became an atheist, 85 yeah. years old. Right. Because I posited to you in the scene, I was like, what about when you die? And, and you, you said two things that I love. Isn't, and I, this was in my book. I'm writing a book about this already. And I want you to know you just said something straight from my brain. Isn't it kind of... Uh, degrading to your God to boil it, to reduce it to afterlife insurance. I've always used the phrase afterlife insurance. It's like, what a fucking insult to infinity that you're using it. Just again, as a, as a, there's a gap in our lives. We die. We're afraid that we're bad. Here's a solution. Just like here's a can of Coke to make your day at the beach a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> here's a God to make your afterlife yeah. a little bit sweeter. It's fucking bullshit. And also I completely the, the agree. fear of death, you know, my, my answer the fear of death is always very simple. Yeah. 1909. Yes. Are you afraid of 1909? Yes. No. Does that, ter- does that <laughs> no. terrify you? Yeah. No. You weren't here. Right. Uh, you know, 2109, going to be exactly the same. That's right. You won't be here. That's what Dana Carvey said. He said, where were you during the Renaissance? Yeah. <laughs> right. and, and some spiritual people would say, I was there. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't remember, which is fine. Which is also what we talked about. I was like, what happens when we die? Is it lights out? And, and, and you employ this beautiful openness. Evidence shows over because my matter is, is done and my brain is decomposed and that's my vessel. Um, but you're also – I mean maybe. Maybe you, you, you come back. Oh, we don't know, but probably not. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And once you've said uh, – once you've said I don't know, you've said everything. And not only have you said that uh, – uh, Scientifically and theologically, but you've also said that politically. Mm. You know, the uh, I don't know is uh, is the answer to all freedom in government. You know, mm. uh, there wasn't a king who ever said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was his job to not yeah. say, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. We and, want you to know, like a wolf, like yeah. a king wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the food? Uh, it's over here. <laughs> like some, some guessing wolf. Some wolf at some point is guessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's why that's, that's so important. Yeah, I don't know. But what, what's interesting too is – this is another Ramdas quote he, that I think is 
potentially right on because I'm with you in the in the I don't knowness. But he says I don't believe he believes that the soul. Forgive me. Uh, so survives death, but your personality doesn't. So it's almost like a, what does it matter? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Either this one idea so is right. Said, you just said something like, I was there during the Renaissance, but I don't remember. Right. You know, uh, in, uh, in, in Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, he talks about uh, if you want to make yourself crazy, mm. some anesthetics don't stop the pain. They stop you from remembering the pain. That's good. That, that's yeah. You just tickled my nickel. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, that is a good one. And uh, it's it's like when you're hearing, you're not actually hearing what's happening. You're remembering your your experience. Well, yeah. You, we we know what now is. Right. What what now is what? Uh, uh, I think it's like point seventeen of a second. That's how much in the past we live. Whoa. So there's this real. There's this nutty problem that is really important, which is the speed of light and the speed of sound. Mm. Um, uh, I discovered the absolute formula for comedy timing. Mm. I discovered it at going to a shuttle space launch in Florida. Mm. So one of the shuttles go up. And uh, everybody talks about what comedy timing is. And comedy timing is the difference between the speed of light and the speed of sound over a mile and a half at, uh, at uh, sea level. And standard temperature. What do you mean? I'll tell you. You look, <laughs> you look over at the uh, space shuttle. Mm. It's a mile and a half away. You're in the VIP section, so I assume you would be. Mm. Thank VIP you. Section. I have a big television. <laughs> mile, mile and a half away. And you see the rocket. And you hear the uh, voice of mission control, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. And they hit 1. And at 1, you see... The brightest light you've ever seen, like a welding arc, but it's a mile and a half away. And then you see billows of smoke and you hear birds chirping and you go, huh, (laughs) I would have thought that was going to (laughs) be. And everyone does it. Yeah, everybody. And you can even turn to the person and go, boy, you'd think you'd be hearing boom. And then it's like a baseball bat in your chest. It's really funny. Now, here's the problem. That's comedy. The the human brain is getting, uh, uh, we look down there and we can see a person down there. Let's say uh, Mick Jagger's down there playing a tambourine at the (laughs) other end of the store. He does this, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, 186,000 miles per second, that's the speed the light's coming up to us, right? And somewhere around 600 miles an hour is the speed the sound is coming up. Mm-hmm. So we are going to perceive the world. Faster uh, than we hear it. And yet, when you look down there. It's like there, having bad seats at the Hollywood Bowl. Exactly. Yeah. When you look down there, you see them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the reason you see at the same time is that your brain does a buffer. And puts all those things together. Because the other end of the store, uh, it's the exact same for this distance. Mm-hmm. So my brain has to take in all the sound, all the lights, all everything, and make a picture that I can understand. And that picture is a complete and utter fiction that does not exist. Mm. And it's of the past. Mm-hmm. So no one will ever be now. Mm. Now when you meditate... No one will ever be now. There's There's a... There's a possibility that there, if you're not listening and not seeing, 
that you're experiencing some sort of now. Right. Well, this is Ram Dass's whole idea yeah, is instead of an object thinking about stillness, you become stillness. Because right. if you're always looking at the world as an object, if you're looking at God or consciousness or whatever, as an object, you're always one thought away. So the idea is right. to stop thinking that's, and become it. That's, that's Plato, the, the platonic idea. Mm. Uh, that's why Plato hated art. Is because it was one step further removed, right? Oh. Because you've got, you've got the chair, then you've got the platonic ideal of what a chair would be, mm-hmm. and then you've got a drawing of a chair. <laughs> and the drawing of a chair is a drawing of the idea of what the this chair is. This is, I forget who said it, but it's like if you tell a kid, what, point to a bird and say, that's a bird, the kid will never see a bird again. He'll only see his thought of a bird. Right. He'll only remember his thought bird. But it's possible that you, you're you not allowed to ruin that. It's possible it's already ruined. It's possible that... It's already been ruined by your brain, by the, the way abs- that... The abstraction would happen. It anyway. categorizes. That's what it's doing. I think it kind of has to. A baby is doing that sort of stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a baby's job. But I, I will say in, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be on the record for talking to somebody who doesn't do substances and be like, you should do them. I should tell you. Would it be, now, what if I now... Go like, off the de- tomorrow, deep end. Go, go, do acid, jump off a building and kill yeah. myself. Are you culpable? I'm going to go ahead and hit delete on this <laughs> pretty quick. You know, big hurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, oh, man. It's too bad. It's his last <laughs> interview, and we lost it. Ah! I just wanted to encourage you, regardless of what you do, the wonderful thing about mushrooms, acid, that sort of stuff, is I've had moments where I see a bird on mushrooms, and I... Really trip out. How the bird get on mushrooms? Uh, you left him out? Yeah, well, for sure. My house is scattered. <laughs> I, can see, I can be on mushrooms, see a bird, and really take in the bird. What is that book? It's called Seeing is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. So it's not just thinking about bird. Bird is, is me. Bird is overcoming my, my awareness. I've also done that by being still. Mm-hmm. And that is the great spiritual revelation, I would say, of the 60s, 70s, and up until today, is that these drugs are cheats, and I would say I need all the help I can get. Lama Suryadas, who's the only American, one of the few American lamas, or maybe the first American lama, I forget, was like, I'm a spiritual whore. I do anything I can. I'll do whatever I can. We need all the help we can get, including from science and all that stuff. So two two quick things. Well, I... Go ahead. A one L... Lama is uh, an an, uh, is the uh, is the holy man. Yes, the two L Lama is the animal. Yes, that's right. And the three L Lama is a hell of a fire. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you enjoy about Buddhism? Uh, all the stuff you're saying now. All that stuff. Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, you know, I uh, uh, I have lately been. Uh, I got sick of movies. I just got sick of them. I love that. I get sick of television, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Uh, I even listen to less music than I used to. Hmm. I like to read a lot. And uh, yeah. I've gone to uh, more poetry, and I've gone to more... Uh, I, think, I think Sam Harris is kind of to blame hmm. a little bit. How's that? His book on, uh, on you know, the spiritualism of atheism mm-hmm. was, uh, was all the stuff you're covering. I mean, Sam Harris kind of has this uh, pretty much nailed. Huh. And... Uh, Dawkins is the uh, Dawkins is kind of the the perfect epitome of the uh, atheist. Many people don't like. Uh, yeah, that's true. You know, he's the hard. He's God is not great. Yeah. No, no, no. That's Hitchens. Excuse me. Did you read God is not great? I tried to. Oh, you didn't like it. 
I wasn't ready. Yeah, because God is not great. The Hitchens book. Yeah, it's really funny because I didn't even realize I wasn't doing this as a stunt, but now it is a stunt. Mm. Uh, I was in the hospital. I was wicked sick. I mean, wicked, wicked sick. And uh, I was uh, confronting my own mortality. Mm. And I didn't even realize this, but I uh, I'd read God is Not Great, the Hitchens book. And uh, I asked my wife to bring it to the hospital because for solace, I wanted to read Hitchens' book on God is, God is Not Great because the book is um, so beautiful. Um, a celebration of life mm. while doing, you know, Hitchens is, is incredible. You know, Hitchens, um, uh, I didn't know him as well as I'd like to, but I could consider him a friend and Hitchens, uh, nobody could speak better off the top of his head than Hitchens. Mm. Hitchens could give you like two paragraphs that he had laid out. I mean, he was the anti Trump, you know, mm. how Trump gets maybe three words, uh, Hitchens could lay out this beautiful, and also Stephen Fry, you know, mm. are, are, uh, uh, but Hitchens and Fry are the two people who speak about atheism that that really um, were right in the pocket for me. And then Sam Harris is the one who pushes me with his spiritual stuff. Mm. And Dawkins is the one that I, I, is used as a straw man by the Christian. What was, what was, yeah, I hear that. What was comforting about Hitchens in the, in the hospital? Um, the void of it? I think it was uh, – I, I think it was just artistically funny mm. that it was Hitchens. I think all that really attracted me was I wanted something um, perfectly done. Mm. It, really? could have, it could have very easily been Bob Dylan, Blonde on Blonde. Yeah. It could have very easily been Kerouac's On the Road. You just wanted something perfect. I just wanted something perfect. And it just happened. It was philosophically, you know, but one of the, um, one of the, uh, uh, you know, because, because Hitchens died of, of a horrible kind of cancer, mm. there was kind of this, this uh, horrible challenge by some people, and I, I'm so tempted to say by some Christians, but I don't want to do that. Mm. People, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, I'm getting very close to trying to get out of uh, tribalism entirely. Mm. I'm sick of referring to myself as a man. I'm sick of referring to my American. I'm sick of being white. Such, I'm sick of such, all that. Stuff. Such a mushrooms thought. And now, <laughs> and now we're doing Christian and atheist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is no, buddy. I don't even like saying Penn, my atheist. Let's talk. Like I don't yeah, like it. Yeah. I want to be here with you, and I feel the same pull. Yeah. And uh, but uh, uh, Hitchens, uh, terrible cancer. Yeah, had his. Terrible, terrible uh, cancer. Uh, and he was dying. And uh, there were all of these vultures hmm. that gathered around saying, uh, you know, he's going to call out to God right. when the fear gets to him. And Hitchens did this great video that um, was a step beyond what I would ever have thought of. Hitchens said, uh, you know, people are waiting. He's already been in the chemo and stuff. People are waiting for me to call out for God on my deathbed. And I might. I might. Because I'm going to be put on the heaviest drugs that are in the world. I'm going to be high, and the amount of pain I'm going to experience Mm. is going to be overwhelming, more than I've ever experienced in my life. I am going to go, as I die, into deep mental illness, as the brain gets gets drained of all of it. He said, so there may be something 
lying in Christopher Hitchens' bed that cries out to God, it won't be me. Yeah. And of course he did. But, but though I, I see the goal of a good atheist is to not, at that last moment, turn into fear. Yeah. And the goal of a good Buddhist or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Christian, I would argue, is the same. Yeah. Well, it's the same team. It's this idea of going like, I know there are problems with every group that I just mentioned. We all, because they're all made up of individuals. But it, it just strikes me that we're after that same sort of equanimity. We want to turn away from ugliness and fear and panic, and we want to yield to the unfolding of what is, which is your death in that moment. Yeah. But I do. Th- I think that's a great answer. But it also reminds me of a Hindu thing. It's like my personality might be freaking the fuck out, but I'm behind it, and yeah. and my. The real me has no interest in in man, atheist, American. <laughs> Was that your? <laughs> I just touched this and it said okay. <laughs> I, I think I heard Siri. Um, anyway, I, I just see a lot of – I guess what I see is – let's call it truth. I was going to call it spiritual beauty. I see a lot of truth in a lot – what I'm saying, a lot of paths up this mountain, whatever mountain is I'm enjoying, and one of them is this sort of – empty path, the pathless path, the yeah. I don't need a, a, a metaphor, I don't need a story, I just, I'm, I'm just right here. And I even love that he's like, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> um, and what do you make of consciousness? Do you have any oh, story on it? Listen, I've got to tell you, if uh, I get a theory of consciousness, you're not going to be the first person I'm going to call. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you going to call? I'm going to call Stockholm and get that Nobel Prize. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh it's an interesting thing, though. It's really tough. I don't want to hide behind it because I do catch myself. I'm a little bit guilty of going, no matter what, we'll never crack consciousness. I'm just being vulnerable here. I know that's yeah. not a great thought. Yeah. But I'm just kind of like, because we're it, analyzing it. Yeah, but we did this. You know. Did we what? Did, we did uh, – Copernicus was able to stand in space. It was impossible – Mm. to be able to tell that the earth went around the sun. Mm. We don't have that point of view. Mm. We never see that point of view. No one's ever been out there to be able to see that. Mm. And somehow, Copernicus, that clever motherfucker, found a way to stand out in space. Mm. He found a way to stand in space. For all intents and purposes, he was standing in space to be able to see that motion. And he used math. Used all sorts of stuff. Right. So when you say you can't see within it, um, because you're part of it, we're part of it. Maybe you can. Yeah, I hear you. This maybe is the can. not yet known that maybe, I get excited. Maybe you can. I'm on the side of let's let's figure out what we can figure out. I mean, uh, what bothers me so much is that we keep changing the definition of our goals. For instance, everybody H.G. Uh, Wells writes about time travel, right? We'll be able to go back in time. Um, let's leave the future aside for a moment. Able to go back in time. So usually in your science fiction, time travel is you're able to go back to a certain time. You can see and hear everything happening, but you can't have any effect on it. Mm-hmm. Video. We have it. We did it. We've done time travel. Because we captured the past. Sure. You can go back to the Kennedy assassination from one point of view. You can be there. Right. Just like that. Zapruder right. got you there. You can go back. To, and now, of course, uh, in the, I mean, ever, I, don't, I don't know the numbers, but we all know the numbers are astonishing for how much is being recorded 
now. Right. right. Um, <laughs> this conversation being yeah. an example. <laughs> we will be able to. I mean, pretty simply now. This is like Kurtzwell says, does God exist? And he says, not yet. Not yet. Because we'll have everything. We'll have cameras and daisies. Yeah, well, that's, 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 you know, that's Homo Deus, the, the other, um, the other uh, uh, Harari book after Sapiens. Oh, wow. Um, he talks about the future of that. But the, um, the, the point that – so you say, well, we'll never be able to time travel. Well, my answer is we can already time travel in the past. We just changed the definition. Hmm. So when uh, someone gets an answer of what consciousness is, I am positive. We're going to change. We will all push. Well, we don't know why we're doing this, 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 and this. Right. And uh, it's that's fr- it's frustrating. That's great, but uh, it's fabulous. We should always oh, okay. have. We should always keep pushing that. But we should also remember what we've accomplished. I mean, um, while we're complaining about uh, too much information and too much television and yes. keeping us away from stuff, we also have to remember that all of that stuff is doing amazing things. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. Totally. In my mind, uh, there's no doubt that. Um, gay marriage uh, was because of the internet. Mm. I mean... Uh, I would also say TV played a part. I, sure. I, I know it seems a little trite, Absolutely. but I know middle-aged church women who were softened by Will and Grace. <laughs> I just, I just, it's a fact. And not to mention Ellen. You know. Yeah. Forget it. Ellen yeah. was the great sleeper cell of everything. of everything. Yeah. Was like, uh, but, but all that stuff, I mean, I was... I was aware and jacked in and talking to the craziest gay rights people who were saying as late as 1999, we might get gay marriage in this country by 2025. Mm. And they were the crazy ones. Mm. Crazy ones. Everybody else was going, oh, I don't know if we're ever going to do that. Mm. You know, and it just... Right. And uh, when you read um, uh, uh, Better Angels, the uh, the Pinker book, which is is the book for optimists. Hmm. Whenever uh, cynics yell to us optimists, you know, you're crazy, pie in the sky. You, oh, no, it's, but it's provable. Mm. Here. Better Angels is the book uh, in defense of optimism. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's incredible because you just go, yeah, but we're not killing each other anymore. Mm. We just aren't. Mm. We're just not killing each other anymore. Hmm. The numbers are breathtaking. Hmm. People are not starving. I mean, it's just the numbers are crashing. Hmm. And one of the things, and, and Pinker, uh, Stephen Pinker is a very, very careful writer. And he does not go off half-cocked, hmm. unlike me. <laughs> um, and they're trying to figure out why violence is just going away. You know, South Central LA, they had to close the homicide division because there wasn't enough business. No way. Yeah. Uh, murder rates look at the murder rates in New York City in the 70s and you just go what do you mean it was 2,000 a year Hmm. how how was that number you know the number's crashing Hmm. Uh, no one knows why Hmm. and um, IQs rocketing up (laughs) no one knows why and not because of cultural literacy this is the hardcore symbolic math stuff that you can't be taught Hmm. rocketing up something like 10 IQ points every 15 years. <laughs> uh, if you went back to when the IQ test started in 1930 or whenever it was, uh, average 
then would be considered mentally defective now. Wow. Okay? So we could time travel and really just dominate. Absolutely. You want an apple? (laughs) Give me your house. (laughs) Um, And one of the things that a lot of people are thinking is that um, it may really be art. Really? did all of this. Because uh, after World War I, a lot of these crazy writers were saying, we're going to end the war by writing, you know, All Quiet in the Western Front and Mm. and Empathy. And it was considered to be these stupid jack-offs. They may have been just right. Hmm. And what we're seeing now is, and this is why I get so upset at people coming out against cultural appropriation. Because I believe that cultural appropriation can be the most important good thing possible. Because you're taking the worldview of another and and grokking with it. When you internalize the worldview of another person, Mm -hmm. you've changed the world. Mm. You know, and there's a great thing. uh, I think it's in Pinker's book where he talks about, I don't know what writer it was, who's a Southern writer who said uh, he was talking about civil rights to his father in the late 40s, early 50s. And he was trying to make uh, an enlightened point of view for civil rights. And he said, well, what if you were uh, a black man you know, uh, and you had been working hard and wanted to be with your family and you didn't have those rights? And his father's answer was, well, I'm not. I never would be. Hmm. And Pinker claims that in a very short period of time, thousand years, 500 years, 300 years, accelerating very much, you are able to go on the web and put yourself in the position of a Muslim child in Syria. Mm. And, uh, and imagine virtual reality being imposed on yeah, that. There, there are many people who believe that art has moved us. I mean, the speed, if you'd have told somebody in uh, 1900. The biggest problem we're going to have in in, in 118 years is that uh, poor people will be fat. Hmm. What? (laughs) Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And if you would have said, if you would have given the numbers of terrorism, now this many people, if you would have said during Vietnam, these are the number of Americans that are going to be killed by terrorism in 2000, they would have danced. Mm. The numbers are so insanely low. Hmm. And although you don't ever want to get caught saying this, and I'll sneak it in quietly, even if you figure in 9-11, hmm. the numbers are really low. Now, do I have to say that I care deeply about course, people who died course, in 9-11? But there's still numbers do matter. Right. And uh, the fact that we have uh, many fewer people dying of starvation now by numbers, not by percentage, than 100 years ago. Hmm. The population has grown tremendously and yet fewer people are starving. Hmm. It's just incredible. And compassion is going through the roof. Hmm. And if you'd have told somebody, even in 1990, that there would be places in the U.S., like the U.S., where gay marriage would be legal, yeah. no, no one would have perceived that. Right. No, we, We're wizards living on a spaceship. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And things are going faster and faster. And it's because of being able to see yourself 
see, see, see another person through their eyes. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I, I, now I, I praised Pinker no. for being careful, and then I went and... No, but that's what, you, that's what you're for. You're, yeah. a, you're a comedian, and, yeah. and we need you. Yeah. I, I talk about this all the time. You need to have the conversion experience without the firsthand experience. If you're... If you're a celebrity and you get a disease, we get a, a ward of a hospital. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? The trick of, of modern humanity is to be converted to a cause without personal experience, meaning a pastor in my tradition has a gay son. He starts to lighten up on the Leviticus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You see it. The trick is to have a hyper-aware and active empathetic imagination and that may be- without the gay son. That may Motherfucker. Be, that may be the novel. <laughs> what, what do you... Oh, yeah. Sip, slipping into a novel. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Huck, Huck Finn. Yes. You know, when you're reading Huck Finn, uh, there may be something that really changed the world. Yeah. Which makes me laugh so much, you know, when these, when these butch guys like Hemingway were saying, you know, we're going to teach people that... Blah, 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 and you just kind of go, ah, fuck yeah, you. Yeah, you're yeah, not going to yeah. do anything. Maybe they did. Yeah. <laughs> what fun. How nutty is that? Maybe they did. Yeah. You know, maybe all these things really did. Uh, well, I think about like Kerouac and all these guys changing the world with like a couple that's zines. His typewriter. Is it really? Yeah. No way. Well, it's actually a sweatshirt. It's a sweatshirt <laughs> a with a typewriter on it. Obviously. I love that. But these guys had much, like Duncan Trussell and I, who's another podcaster comedian, we were just like, the reach that just two knuckleheads like us have <laughs> is so exponentially large compared to how these guys changed the world with a few happenings. Yeah. You know, a few hundred happenings. But it's good to get that optimistic note. And we've talked for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure. I don't even know how long we talk. How long we talk? Two hours. Oh, my Two goodness. Yeah. Um, I do want to – I'd be remiss. I love that you hate Pascal's wager because I don't think there's anything I hate more than Pascal. <laughs> yes. And you said to me, you go, Pascal's wager – uh, which is the idea of believe in God because what do you have to lose? You die and you're right. You go to heaven, you die and you're wrong. You're just gone. And you go, well, that's not right because there's more than one choice. Yeah. And that's just like such an elegant and swift all there is. way to go like, how do you know you're pledging the right one? I just can't stand it. <laughs> as, as a faith person, as a whatever, I like – these are the books I read. I'm a – you know, whatever. Those are the vo- vocabularies I've adopted. You are aware, aren't you, Pete, that – Everybody except you knows that you're not going to be faith-based for very long. <laughs> I know you think that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying this is fact. <laughs> you... We're talking about some stuff that's opinion. Other stuff is fact. This is fact. Uh, you said that in an email to me. You said, you realize you're an atheist. <laughs> you, you just don't know it yet. <laughs> It'll be fun to see if you're right. Well, yeah, I, I think that uh, – yeah. I, 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 I get so much I out of identifying – I don't even know if it's useful. Uh, at this, at this. Can point. I tell you one thing that I think is useful? Is extricating. It's a word that Roundhouse uses. Extricating myself from the melodrama of my life, meaning identifying more with the witness. We won't say soul with the witness. When I think, boy, I was hungrier than I thought I was. Who am I talking to? That's my brain talking to my awareness. I'm mm-hmm. going to get an apple. My awareness witnesses the thought. I'm going to get. You know, an we apple. didn't even talk about what's that? Which is, which is. Exactly on this subject, um, Bob Dylan's uh, Christian face. Have you heard the record? Well, you and I spoke briefly on set about his Christian face, but tell me what you were going to say. Well, he, the, he's doing the bootleg series where he goes through. 
Yes. Okay. So I get um, the producers of that get in touch with me, and they say, you know, Pam, we're doing the next Bob Dylan bootleg series. We're going to release best stuff oh, from right. 79 to 81. And they wanted you to write the intro. Which I did. I wrote the liner notes. To the God one, though, the, to the Christian period. Yes. yes. I'm the one who wrote the liner notes for the Christian Get Pendulette for the Christ-leaning years. And uh, the Christian Bale years. What that <laughs> did was, hmm. what that did was something um, that I talk a little bit about in the liner notes, but I didn't have all the repercussions at that time. So Trump becomes president. What? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to think that? Reality TV guy? Yeah. Can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I see this horrible thing happen where um, I think the biggest damage Trump is going to do is how much hate he's bringing out of the liberals. Yeah. I think that's the biggest damage he's going to do. Because that hate... As we eat ourselves. Yeah, that hate can't be undone. And seeing that hate in people you love does something to you. I agree. And I've had... It's, it's, de- it's drunk dad yelling, taking yeah. his belt off. It, it's a scary thing you don't forget. Yeah, horrible. And uh, uh, so two things are happening. Facebook and Twitter and everything. Which are, didn't happen to me, by the way. I just, okay. <laughs> my dad Nor did not me. beat me. I just... <laughs> are exploding in all this hate. And then I'm listening to nothing but Bob Dylan's Christian period <laughs> because it's my homework. So they send me about five CDs worth of music, and I'm supposed to write the liner notes. And by the way, I didn't listen to that period of Bob Dylan much when it was happening. Yeah, of First lines of the liner, liner notes are, uh, I'm a lifelong atheist and a lifelong Dylan fan. So you can understand that 1978 was a little rough for me. Uh. <laughs> um, and all of a sudden... All of Dylan's Christian stuff starts speaking to me at such a deeply profound level. Because hmm. there's this song by Dylan called I Ain't Gonna Go to Hell for Anybody. Hmm. And uh, he's talking about how he can lie as well as anybody. He can, uh, he can cheat as well as anybody. Uh, but it talks about gaining the world and losing your soul. Mm-hmm. And it's completely biblical. And it's by a person who I believe was 100% converted to Christianity. Hmm. And it's beautiful. The Christian period is Bob Dylan's best music, probably. Really? Probably the best band he had. You're fun. Some of his best singing. I just love seeing you go against yourself <laughs> and winning and losing at the same time. And Talk I f- about transrational. <laughs> I, found, I found that that stuff was so inspiring to get me to a place where I could see this hate and stuff as as temporary. Mm. I could see the uh, the pain as temporary. And he, uh, it didn't matter very much. To, now, this is... So, like, I'm not going to go to hell for anybody, like even Trump. I'm not going to lower exactly, myself. Exactly. I'm not going to degrade myself with hate. Right. Who, I forget who said that, but I think it was Martin Luther King. Yeah. Junior. I'm, I have to be very <laughs> careful because I once quoted uh, Martin Luther King Jr., incorrectly on Twitter and was ridiculed for it forever. So I, <laughs> if whenever I get a quote wrong, yeah. four people on Twitter will say, hey, Ben, did Martin Luther King Jr. say that? Wow. <laughs> we call these people assholes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're in a safe space here. I don't think anyone's going to mind. I think that's him. Yeah. But I, I, I hear that. Uh, 
what were you saying though? We're saying, but I'm just saying it that, opened you to the idea that hate is temporary. I'm not going to go to hell for anybody. Yeah, and you loved it. Yeah, and it speaks to you. And uh, so you know, I, I uh, the records are amazing. The records are just amazing. And it was really, you know, and as, as I said, you know, I, I didn't give. Uh, I didn't give Dylan a chance. Mm. I mean, even Dylan couldn't give. I mean, if there were a God, okay, mm. and if God were to, to reach me in Judgment Day, God could say to me, Pan, babe, I gave you Dylan yeah. in 79. What do you need? And you still turned your back on That's me. So I gave you Dylan. But what about, see, what turns me on is the enlightenment or freedom. Let's, enlightenment's too pie in the sky. The freedom model. Meaning these things, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, whatever it could be, Taoism, Buddhism, these things are in the service of your freedom. When I hear you, Penn, saying, I feel this all the time. I say to Val all the time, I go, this isn't me. I get mad. There's a neighbor we have that's always playing the drums. And it makes me more mad than I want to be. And I go, this isn't me. This is just my personality. I'm trying to drop as much as I can. This is Richard Rohr, Falling Upward, my favorite book. It's, it, you say less music, less this, less that. He talks about the second half of life being about less stimulation. Falling what? Falling Upward. Okay. Wonderful book. It's got a lot of the G word in it, but brilliant, just like a turned on guy. Um, less stimulation, fewer answers, less church, less cultural identity, surrender, mm. surrender, surrender, and freedom. Enlightenment, like like that that being this wonderful goal, meaning we are our awareness, or we could say so. And I want to strip away Pete the comedian, Pete the achiever, Pete the straight white American male who doesn't like sports, who's vegan, who, all this bullshit that Ramdas says, we're up to our eyeballs in it. You weren't there for me when I needed you. I don't trust you. I like rock and roll. All this fucking, <laughs> all this fucking shit. And I get it. And I play it. But I experience such a degree of peace. Talk about spirituality being useful. The more I... And it does feel like a leaning back, a leaning back into my essence, let's say essence, instead of buying into the hype that I am. The point of life is – It's to, that is, verb to be, isn't it? What? We hate that verb to be. The verb to be? Yeah. Well, I am, I am, I am. <laughs> you know, uh, everything. I, I'm a, I'm a sports it. fan. I'm a, yeah. That's it. But, uh, you know, I, people always said the, the most important question you can ask in your life is who am I? And my whole life I thought that meant when you're dying, you're on your deathbed and you go, everyone knew how I took my coffee. And that was good. Like everyone <laughs> knew you. That's Dale. <laughs> Dale being Dale. Now I see it as this intoxicating, invigorating, real-time, paying-out ecstasy, joy, bliss, curiosity, wonder. It's, 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 it gives you jazz. It fills you up wondering, who am I really? This is, that, this is the spiritual pursuit. Who is it really behind the wheel? And when I say it's awareness, then you can get into trippier things like we're all sharing, one awareness, all that sort of stuff's fun to consider. But the real-time, right-here peace model is me going – this is just my software. My hardware is far more like a sunset. My mother isn't my mother. Remember you and I talked about you read the Bible and that's what turned you off and I love that. And you talk about how Jesus is anti-family and I'm like, fucking A, he is. He <laughs> so is. It's, but here's, here's how I interpret that. It's like Buddhism. It's attachment. It's not 
you have to hate your mother and father to follow me, is what Christ says, mm-hmm. speaking as the Christ, speaking as the universe. I would say that's non-attachment. You can't be clinging yeah, to your mother and your father if you're going to dissolve into everything. It certainly seems like you're um, – that's a beautiful thought and that's the right way to say that. But it does seem a little bit apologist because – I'm chasing uh, something. He, I think in the context, hmm. he's really trying to get followers for a movement. Hmm. I don't think he, he's doing the exact opposite of what you're claiming. That's interesting because that's not how I read it. But you're right. I do have a confirmation bias. I would like it yeah. to be this. Yeah. But when I read it, I don't see a guy trying to start a religion. And I don't see even a guy trying to get people to follow him. I keep seeing him daring people to follow him. But we have to remember – And they don't. There, there's no reporting. And that's a really important thing to remember. There's no journalism, you mean? Yeah. Absolutely not. It's Semitic storytelling. It's circular logic. It's leaky bucket stuff. It was written down 150 years later. So what does that tell us? It's not the point. The literal truth isn't the point. The idea is that the rich man wants to follow Christ and he says, give away everything you have. Give it to the poor and then you can be with me. And he can't do it. So Mm. Christ is continually pushing people away. I want to follow you. He goes, just follow the law. He tells Jews to be Jews. He tells women to be women. He tells men to be men. And the people that do follow him, these are bad husbands. These are bad yeah, family terrible. people. They're fishermen who are fishing one day. He goes, if, you, if you're into my shit, leave your nets and follow me. And they do. That's some crazy stuff right there. So, well, that's Manson. It is. I, I, I hear that. And it's John the Baptist. Jesus followed a mm-hmm. nut of his own. Yeah. So the, the, the spiritual pursuit, the real ownership of this being an illusion, of reality being illusory, is an all-or-nothing kind of nutty pursuit. I see it more in the homeless guy walking the streets than I do in the churches. Yeah. But I don't know what to make of that. But I do experience some peace going, I'm not Pete. Pete dies. But this thing that we're all participating in, this conspiracy of molecules that's in the shape of you now and the shape of me now that will later be a can of new, new, new Coke in 2093, <laughs> that's an indestructible energy that I, that I really yeah. can trip letting it pass through me. I would find it interesting from an Oxford English Dictionary point of view that I believe uh, 2018 was the last time a person used the word jazz in that way. <laughs> That's jazz, man. That's jazz. Jazz, baby. Yeah, 2018, I was going to Oxford English Dictionary listening going, yes, Pete Holmes on a podcast yes. in 2018. You know what it was? I couldn't think of a word, so I said jazz. <laughs> I just want to say, Penn, let's get you out of here, but I, I want to say you as a person are a beautiful, open, sunny field, and it's, and it's in- engaging, and it's enriching, and it's, but the best thing I can say, it's open and it's free. And I really, I really, I love you. Oh, well, me too. Thank you for I coming. I mean, me on. too, you. I hope you I love mean, you me too. too. <laughs> I hope you love you Thank too. You, man. Would you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel satisfied? I do. Okay, I don't want to wrap up on my little tangent. No, you, you, you had a nice little wrap up there. I'm I didn't, that. that wasn't my intent. Peace. Peace. I'll end with that. <laughs> I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy My ice game make you haters wanna get me I'm so crispy, I'm so crispy Now leaving Nerdist.com